Southern Skies. Online Media. This episode of Plane Crazy Down Under is proudly sponsored by Aviation Advertiser, Australia's largest aviation online marketplace. Now featuring aviation employment classifieds. Make buying, selling and job search easy by doing it online. Visit aviationadvertiser.com.au today. And by the GA8 Airvan, proudly manufactured right here in Australia by Gips Aero, gipsaero.com. And by Jetride Australia. Be a top gun for the day. Visit jetride.com.au slash pcdu for the fastest ride in the country. I have no option but to force the issue. I have to activate the only form of protected industrial action that is available to me to bring home to the unions the seriousness of their actions and to get them forged sensible deals with us. I'm using the only effective avenue at my disposal to bring about peace and certainty. In response to the union's industrial action, I announced that under the provisions of the Fair Work, Fair Work Act, Qantas will lock out all those employees or who are covered by the agreements currently operating and being negotiated with the ALAEA, the TWU and the AIPA. I have informed the government of this. The only exception to this is that no employee working overseas will be locked out and all staff overseas will continue to be paid. The lockout will commence from 8pm on Monday night, Sydney local time, and will continue until further notice. Because the pilots, ramp and baggage and catering staff and licensed engineers are essential to the running of the airline, the lockout makes us necessary for us to ground the fleet. However, I cannot wait until Monday to do so. This is a very tense environment. Individual reactions to the lockout decision may be unpredictable. We're always conservative in our approach. And for this reason, as a precautionary measure, we have decided to ground the Qantas international and domestic fleets immediately. I repeat, we are grounding the Qantas fleet now. Obviously, the, the fl those flights that are currently in the air will complete their scheduled sectors. However, as from now, there will be no further Qantas domestic or international departures anywhere in the world. Jetstar and Qantas Link will continue to operate. Express Freighters Australia and Atlas Freighters will continue flying. JetConnect will also continue to operate Qantas services across the Tasman. Well, that was Alan Joyce, the Qantas CEO at 5pm on Saturday, October 29th. G'day folks and welcome back to Playing Crazy Down Under, episode 77 of Australia's premier aviation show, a special Qantas in Crisis episode. I'm Steve Fisher, and joining me as always is Grant McHeron. G'day mate. Hey mate, how you going? Boy, I'm exhausted after uh, putting this episode together but uh, boy it's been very busy there's a lot going on and joining us also to talk about that from Adelaide is Baz Sheffers. Hi Baz. G'day. Mate, it has been one heck of a what, what has it been four five days? I've lost count. It's just been insane since five o'clock on Saturday. Yeah, it certainly has, and uh, it's just been an extraordinary period of time. And uh, there's been a lot of it's. it's a, I found it's been a very polarizing argument. You've got uh, people falling. Uh, there's no middle ground. People are falling down either in support of Qantas or they're falling, uh, you know, on the side of the uh, the various unions involved here. Well, we've been attempting to sit on the fence. I, I guess we've probably come down in most of our posts as being more on the side of the pilots. Um, and, not uh, everyone. And not everyone. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Baz has been taking the other view. So it's been a really spirited discussion. But uh, what we've been doing here is uh, working on an, ep- on an episode where we can get most of the major players in to uh, have a bit of a chat about all of that. Yeah, that's right, mate. And uh, look, to do a bit of a summary, because uh, not all of our listeners have been here in Australia following it uh, very closely. There's some Australians and Kiwis who haven't really been following it. And there's a lot of people overseas who haven't, may not have got the, all the detail. So uh, basically, for during the month of September and October, the unions had been in the middle of an industrial dispute and uh, they had gone on strike a few times. They had been allowed to do that by Fair Work Australia, which is the uh, industrial relations arbitration kind of commission that we have over here. And so they were uh, petitioning to be allowed to strike. They were told they were allowed to. They would give 36 hours notice. They'd have a strike. It was causing a lot of inconvenience. And according to management at uh, Qantas, it was causing a massive and significant drop off in their uh, future bookings, particularly by uh, the people who pay a lot of money, which is the typical business traveler. As a result, Alan Joyce dropped what can only be described as a major bombshell on Saturday and grounded the entire fleet of all the domestic and the uh, international, as he said, Jet Connect going across the Tasman, Qantas Link and a few other subsidiaries were still flying. But the majority of Qantas aircraft were grounded, something like 108 aircraft across the board. It was a lockout to prevent those three unions from working. That was to come into effect within about uh, 48 hours or so. And uh, yeah, everyone was caught up in it. There were passengers left everywhere, weren't there, mate? Oh, absolutely. They were stranded uh, all over the world. Now, there's been a lot of claim and counterclaim going on for, for many, many months. The uh, m- Many of the various uh, enterprise bargaining agreements have have long since expired. There's been a lot of claims going on in the media from both sides. The Qantas media machine uh, has been in full swing. And of course, I guess they have the advantage because um, a lot of Qantas employees, or probably all Qantas employees, uh, are not allowed to speak to the media as uh, part of their employment uh, terms and conditions. So, uh, you know, Qantas sort of has the advantage there and they've been out there running a real hearts and minds campaign. And I'd have to say, I think they've probably been winning that slowly uh, in terms of public sentiment over the past few weeks. I think briefly that may have uh, swung back towards the uh, the unions and the employees when uh, Alan Joyce dropped this bombshell. But I'm just sort of sensing now that uh, once the emotion and the initial shock of uh, of the announcement uh, has gone away, now particularly as we record this, Qantas is back in the air and flying again. Maybe things are swinging, people are not sure. And I guess the big winner out of all of this would be uh, Tiger Airways and uh, Virgin Australia. Oh, definitely more Virgin than, than Tiger perhaps. But uh, yeah, look, I, I'd say definitely Virgin. Uh, they've been able to ramp up pretty quickly and and accommodate a lot of the uh, stranded passengers, shall we say, the the affected passengers. But what it's really coming down to now as we get into a, as you said, everyone's flying again. We're into a period of uh, negotiation that's been imposed by the uh, Industrial Relations Tribunal, as it's now known as Fair Work Australia. Now we're starting to see the political point scoring machine coming out. And the biggest thing that's going down at the moment in the politics side of it is who knew about it beforehand, because the opposition party are going around saying, oh, everyone knew because Qantas was all was saying all the time that they were going to do this kind of thing. Yet the prime minister and the uh, the minister for transport and infrastructure are both saying the first they knew about it was when Joyce dropped the bombshell. It's getting into the stage where uh, politicians are finding themselves rapidly caught because if they did know about it beforehand, why didn't they do anything? And it's all nothing more than a big distraction and uh, which is a real shame but I guess inevitable in the rather uh, knife-edge political uh, climate we have in this country at the moment. But I'm asking when Everyone in Parliament heard. House here. Well I specifically heard they were going to undertake a lockout and a grounding at quarter to five on Saturday. But I'm asking when you, which, when you which first is three heard hours. that they were considering that option that that was the sort of stuff oh, that was on the table. Weeks ago they've been saying that. Weeks ago. Publicly and privately. In a, in, in a they meeting? They have been saying for weeks. And did you hear 
this in a no, meeting no. with Qantas representatives? Look, look, Lee, they have been saying it privately and publicly around Parliament House for weeks. But I'd just like to know specifically when you actually heard that. Like, I, I don't well, want I you to say generally. But, but you, would have, you would have heard it personally in a meeting from a Qantas representative at some time in the past few weeks. Yeah, that sure, as, as did others. Yeah, the Qantas have been in this building for weeks. Yeah, and that was uh, Shadow Treasurer Joe Hockey on the ABC last night with uh, Lee Sales there. And, uh, yeah, she really walked him into a trap there. And I think she trapped him before he realised it. But uh, <laughs> anyway, really, I mean, who knew what, when? Um, I, I find this quite a distraction, actually. The bottom line is Qantas is a private company. It's responsible to its shareholders. Uh, and it's also uh, responsible to its employees. And we know a lot of Qantas employees, I might tell you, and the morale at that company is at rock bottom, which is, is really a sad thing. We're going to go, go into the program now. We've uh, tried to get as many of the uh, the major players, the people that have been out and about in the mainstream media and, and making comments. At the moment, Qantas has uh, not responded to us, and uh, that's probably understandable. I guess we're not the biggest uh, media outlet going around, but uh, some of the people you will hear in this program include the leader of the National Party, Warren Truss. The reality is that Qantas had reached a stage where they believed this was the only action available to them. Steve Pavinas. Uh, starting up new carriers is done to avoid their obligations under Australian laws. Senator Nick Xenophon. Uh, I really have concerns about what is happening at Qantas. Dick Smith. And I'm amazed that Qantas International exists. I would have closed it down five years ago. Airline branding expert from simplyflying.com, Shashank Nigam. Well, to be very frank, this kind of stuff has typically been associated with brands like Air India and Air France. And we're going to top that out with a rather spirited discussion between uh, transport journalists Will Horton and Ben Sandylands. There is one significant difference, which is an intangible, between Virgin Australia and quarters, and that is an engaged workforce. From an airline perspective, not all passengers are equal. And the passengers who really matter the most to you at the end of the day are your corporate passengers who give you the high yield. Now, uh, before we kick it off here too, folks, I want to point out that the uh, the idea of this show is to let uh, as many of the major players as, as we can give their points of view without talking over them. You'll see them on the TV and you'll hear them on the radio, but of course, um, the amount of time that they've got to talk is very restricted, uh, particularly when they're on commercial radio, and you'll find that the... Uh, you know, the hosts have to sort of talk over them and get through as many points as they can. We've made the decision here not to do that. We let them have their say and let them give their point of view. Um, whether you agree with it or not, well, that's really up to you. But the idea of this is to allow you to listen to what they have to say from many different sides of the fence, as you'll hear with those guests, and make up your own mind. Uh, we, As we say in our disclaimer, we don't claim to be experts here. We just want to let some of the major players have their say. So with that, let's kick off with the Vice President of the Australian and International Pilots Association, Captain Richard Woodward. Captain Richard Woodward, the uh, Vice President of the Australian and International Pilots Association, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Mate, I understand you've been extremely busy. We've caught you on your uh, cell phone as you're uh, very busy in Canberra lobbying and so on. It's been a pretty hectic few days lately. Well, it's been an extraordinary uh, three or four days. Uh, who would have thought that we'd shut an entire airline down over the weekend and then restarted again on the Monday? Not quite like uh, flicking the light switch, is it? No, absolutely not. There's a major process to shut down such a big operation and then to restart it. It was clearly well planned by the company. They'd, they'd done a whole bunch of things in advance and we got wind of that just before the annual general meeting. So it was a clear sign that uh, something was in the wind, but it became a bit of a shock to all of us that the airline was shut down at 5 o'clock on, uh, on Friday afternoon. We actually uh, then went into sort of damage control and I think I did about 50-odd interviews over the next two days. <laughs> yeah, well, we really appreciate the fact that you've made some time for us, mate. Uh, out of 
interest, you, you say you were, you were starting to get some inkling that things were about to go down on um, the afternoon. It was the Saturday that they grounded it. There's been the um, big thing in the press at the moment, of course, is the hoo-ha regarding uh, who knew first and uh, whether Abbott and co had been told and people saying, oh, Qantas was saying it beforehand and then when you try and pin them down, they evade. Is that a big distraction and a big political win or are you seeing that that is an important thing to know? I think it's a political uh, football at the moment here in Canberra and uh, you're right, I was going to be the wrong day for the shutdown, it's amazing. It is a political football and uh, that will be pursued by both sides. Uh, I must say, Joe Offie looked a bit embarrassed in Parliament today when Anthony Albanese was giving him a hard time about it. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, but uh, we, we had indications, I got a call to say that the company had pre-booked hotel rooms in Los Angeles, uh, two to 3,000 was the word I was told, on Thursday afternoon prior to the annual general meeting of Qantas, which we attended on Friday. Yeah, that, that is starting to come out that there was a lot of pre-planning and preparations and couriers had been organised and so on. One of the big things that's going on at the moment is Qantas are trying to paint out that pilots and so on are a big part of the problem, but you've never actually gone on strike. You've worn red ties, you've made PA announcements. Also, don't believe anyone in your union has made any comments related to don't fly Qantas. Is that correct? That's absolutely true. Who would have thought a, the red tie could be a lightsaber and bring down an airline? It's amazing. <laughs> so, I mean, do you feel like you're being caught up in all this, uh, especially because you've got just the international pilots are doing their EBA renewals at the moment, but domestic aren't, and domestic have been going along quite profitably. So did you feel like you've all just been dragged into this? Yeah, it was an extraordinary move to ground the domestic arm of the airline as well, because you're correct, they're making quite a profit. And, and our short-haul pilots, as we call them, uh, weren't part of the uh, international pilots' um, industrial dispute. Um, a lot of our international pilots do fly domestic operations, our 767s and our A330s for instance, to a significant proportion of domestic flying. So I think the company's risk management process decided it was too risky to leave part of the airline flying, so they grounded the entire lot, which was, was extraordinary to say the least. And, uh, you know, they effectively held those poor passengers at ransom all around the world while they blackmailed the government and Fair Work Australia into helping them uh, terminate industrial action. But I note with some interest that the commissioners in their ruling said that they had to terminate the industrial action because uh, Qantas's actions had damaged the national interest where the collective industrial action, such as it was from our case, and PAs and ties you identified, had not damaged the national interest. They were talking about big reductions in their ongoing business and so on, but uh, yeah, I think they've done quite a bit of damage at the moment by um, leaving everyone stranded. Yes, they did. Uh, they burned a lot of capital here in Canberra with the, with the government, but they also damaged our reputation with all those passengers that were stuck around the world. And, you know, it's a rough rule of thumb. They'll tell all their friends about how they were treated or what went wrong. And, and uh, it'll take a long while to buy back that goodwill off the travelling public. One of the things that Qantas have been doing in the lead up to all of this was painting yourselves also in a bad light in terms of they're saying that you don't work as, as hard as other pilots in other places, that you earn more and that you're asking for more money and security. Is that what IPA is, is looking for? Um, our, our pay claim is uh, 2.5%, which is less than inflation, which is running at 3.3%. So our claim was just to stabilise our salaries. But what we were claiming was trying to uh, get a future for our young pilots and the expansion of the airline. It's pretty clear to us that Qantas is intended to shrink its international operations base in Australia and transfer it overseas and replace it with surrogate airlines. And so, you know, I'm OK because I am an A380 captain and I'm near the end of my career, but we worry for our young pilots and their futures. So we were negotiating around those lines. As to the salary, um, yes, we're reasonably well paid by Australian standards, uh, but by world standards, we're always in the middle 
and, and from a cost and efficiency point of view, uh, we fly with one captain on our aeroplanes, where most other airlines in the world long haul flights, they carry two captains. So, you know, if you're talking about relative efficiencies, we're fine. And uh, the one other one you asked me about was ours. Uh, a lot of uh, our aeroplanes were gifted to Jetstar to start international operations. Four of our A330s were gifted to Jetstar to start their international operations. We run about seven crews in the aeroplane, so that made a fair old surplus there. Flying that was transferred wasn't replaced, so we found ourselves in pilot surplus, and the company was assigning significant blocks of leave, both annual and uh, long service leave, to our pilots, and so their hours were down, uh, and they, they looked inefficient, so it's not their fault. They, I'll tell you now that every young pilot joins Qantas just wants to fly. Now, you, you mentioned about gifting aircraft and things like that. There, there's been some uh, some reports in the press through the pilots and so on about uh, how Qantas is subsidising Jetstar. We're hearing stories of uh, legal people who are doing work for Jetstar but are charged to mainline. We're hearing uh, stories about aircraft that are being refuelled and the fuel dockets are going off to Jetstar instead of to Qantas if it's a, f- a cheap rate and vice versa. Is, how, are you hearing these stories? Yes, we're hearing lots of anecdotal evidence. Uh, the, the corporate side of the house is core, so those things about lawyers and treasury and things are true. There's a, a centralised corporate uh, business that takes care of various elements, but we're hearing lots of anecdotes. Uh, for instance, I was told by engineering in Singapore that this is, you know, in July, that only just started to charge Jetstar for turnaround services in Singapore before that Qantas was wearing the cost uh, for the A330 turnarounds. And there's other anecdotes. That they're all mentioned on various rumour networks around uh, the world. You can see that for yourselves. But uh, uh, some of it may have been inadvertent on the company's part, but I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain that to improve the start-up bottom line of, of Jetstar, that there was certainly a, a fair amount of support from the mothership We've heard from Dick Smith and Warren Trust that that's they, they claim that would be illegal to route costs to the other companies because it's a publicly uh, traded company, the Qantas Group. The directors have to sign for the accounts being correct and that that would be falsifying the accounts. But I thought that was just divisions internally and you know, it's like Disney math, you know, Mickey and Pluto move the money from one side to the other. The public accounts are the public accounts. For instance, Alan Joyce has said all along that the international arms are losing $200 million a year, but that's not identifiable in the public accounts because the international vision not singled out, you know, so it's only Qantas operations, Jetstar operations, etc. So you'd have to do a bit of forensic examination of the accounts to try and pin down where the costs are going. And we've employed some people to look at those as, at those aspects of what's available in the public accounts to make our own determination. But, you know, there's no doubt that international operations and airlines swing back and forth. Some routes are, are quite profitable, others are not as profitable, and some you lose money on. But to be a, a, a full network carrier, you have to have a network, and, you know, you have to look at the overall profit of the group. If a, a, a customer buys a ticket in Frankfurt and ends up in, uh, say, Hamilton Island, there, there's going to be all parts of the group carrying. There's international operation from Frankfurt to Sydney, and then there's, you know, perhaps a Jetstar operation to Hamilton Island. But if they go to Dubbo, then it's a, a link operation. So is the group making money? Yes, the group is making money. They're profitable, which is quite rare for an airline. So I think it's a bit unfair to single out the international operations not contributing to the group's overall profit because uh, the example I just gave, if you're in Mm. A frequent flyer, when you book that ticket, some of that revenue would go to the frequent flyer program as well. So the airline sort of gets what's left. Earlier you had mentioned about young pilots coming into the organisation and things. We've heard rumour that Qantas have actually shut down their uh, pilot hiring division. Is that something you can talk about? 
Uh, yeah, there's been no recruiting into Qantas Mainline for, for some time. And at the moment, because of the surplus we talked about, uh, Qantas has offered leave without pay to its, its young pilots. And there's about 150 of them applied for positions in Jetstar around the world. And there's another 100 or so have actually applied to go to leave without pay to Qatar and Emirates and even back to the Air Force in some cases. So the airline's seeing about one pilot a day leave the airline for the last few months. And so the surplus will be gone shortly and we may be in the unique position where the airline's seen a 250 pilots leave on leave without pay and they have to recruit. Who knows? That could be tricky if they don't have a, a recruitment office anymore. Yeah, I mean, they could crank that up again fairly quickly. But the cyclical nature of uh, aviation industry is uh, is interesting and, you know, sometimes the company can be out of, out of cycle. So, you know, we can see the situation where we're letting pilots go where if there's a turnaround in the business, we may struggle to feed the operations and we're short of aeroplanes and crews. That, that's happened before and it can happen again. Richard, where do you see things going from here? There's Right now, I understand you're doing a lot of lobbying. There's a 21-day uh, negotiation period where uh, the unions and management have to figure things out. And if not, it goes to binding arbitration uh, from Fair Work Australia. There's some talk that uh, Qantas stands to benefit by just stonewalling. Uh, that's true, but it was our, our negotiators did have a meeting with Qantas negotiators on Monday and uh, uh, yesterday, sorry. And uh, the, the feeling was fairly conciliatory and uh, the indications were they were just going to move on from where the negotiation had stopped on Friday before Alan Joyce shut the airline down and we would resume from where we were and trying to reach an amicable conclusion, which is what we've all wanted to do. Uh, if there's some sticking points, uh, we can set those aside under the way the Act works and then, then have them arbitrated. But arbitration's always a bit of a negative for both sides because both sides tend to be disappointed by the outcome, so I don't think either side would rush into that if they could avoid it. The final thing I've got for you is we've got uh, Senator Xenophon coming up with another Senate hearing on Friday. He just recently did one on uh, training and safety in aviation, and now they're doing one about the uh, the Qantas Act and uh, what Qantas is allowed to do. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, mate? Uh, yeah, well, we're testifying before that inquiry. That's one of the reasons we're here in Canberra. Um, we have some fairly strong feelings about whether the intent of the Qantas Sale Act w- in, in 1992 was to have an, an establish and retain a national airline and the icon of Qantas that it is. There, there's a very strong argument that, a, that a, a national airline is a national asset and I think the events of the weekend proved our case that if the airline's not available or stops for whatever reason, there's a profound effect on the economy. So we, we're pressing the fact that a major airline is basically an essential service. So we think that Senator Xenophon and Senator Brown's proposed amendments go part of the way to ensuring that Qantas remains a viable Australian-based airline. We have no problems with them expanding business operations in places like Japan. as That seems like a, a fairly strong business venture, but some of the other items seem to be at high risk to us, you know, to try and set up a premium carrier right under the nose of Singapore Airlines, and I'm <laughs> sure they're going to give them strong opposition. We'll, we'll see what the Senator's amendments are. Perhaps, you know, they're not perfect in terms of drafting, but hopefully the discussion will bring out in context whether the sale act still applies and whether it's needed and whether if it is needed and then recognise that the airline's a national asset that we need to uh, probably polish it up a bit. Well, Richard, thank you very much for coming on the show and uh, taking a few moments of your time to have a chat with us. Very much appreciated. We've been playing uh, tag for a few days now trying to get you on and I understand you're very, very busy. So thanks very much, mate. We won't keep you any longer. No problems, Grant, any time. Thanks. Thanks a lot. 
Warren Truss is the uh, leader of the Nationals in the uh, the lower house, and he joins us on the line now. Uh, Mr. Truss, uh, thanks for joining us again. It's a pleasure to talk to you, Mr. Truss. Uh, Qantas, I guess, uh, being an MP and uh, being based up there in Queensland, you'd uh, you'd be flying uh, Qantas a lot and be very reliant on it. Uh, how did you go getting up to uh, Canberra this week? Well, I was actually here at the Gold Coast when the um, action began, and. Uh, I was able to travel on Virgin, and so that got me to Canberra without any trouble. I guess over the last few weeks, like many people, I've been making sure I've got a range of bookings available so that I've been able to get to, to, to where I wanted to go. Uh, both Qantas and Virgin, um, Qantas Link and Virgin service my electorate, so we, we are fortunate to have a little bit of choice. It's obviously been a tumultuous week, and uh, amongst many other things, I guess a test of the uh, new workplace laws, uh, I guess obviously these laws have been set up from the, the other side of politics to the, the side that you sit on. Prime Minister Gillard this week was asked about, in particular, Section 431 of the Fair Work Act and uh, why she didn't enact that, and uh, here's what she had to say. It's never been used before and would have put us in a world of legal uncertainty. Now, my take on that is that uh, Julia Gillard uh, would have probably had a pretty good hand in writing uh, that part of the Act. Why, why did the government not choose to use it? Well, I think that's a, a, a very important question. The reality is she wrote the Act, she put that clause in the legislation, if she didn't intend to use it, why was it Why was it put there? If it's going to require a whole lot of legal battles every time it's used, then clearly it's defective. Uh, the reality is that Qantas had reached a stage where they believed this was the only action available to them. Now, the unions had been taking actions which had resulted in a, a whole, whole uh, range of disruptions to, to passengers right around the world, but particularly in Australia. Uh, there was something like 100,000 passengers disadvantaged over the weekend because of the action was eventually taken to ground the fleet, but there'd been several hundred thousand before that who had been who'd had their journeys interrupted by the various actions that the unions had been taking. Once more, the unions said that they intended to keep on going well into the new year. They were going to bake Qantas slowly, they said. Uh, you had one union leader out there actually recommending that people don't buy tickets with his own, with his own company. Now, clearly, Qantas was burning. Uh, they, they could not tolerate these losses indefinitely. And uh, uh, their advice was that the only action available to them under the government's new fair work laws was to ground the airline. Now, that was a very drastic step. Uh, no other company, no other large employer has uh, chosen to do that uh, up until now. They've just basically backed down and, and agreed to whatever unions have demanded. Well, Qantas couldn't afford uh, many of the demands. Uh, they had to bring this to a head, and it seems that this drastic action was the only option available to them under the legislation. Now, the government was warned. Uh, they'd been warned over months that uh, this was a, a likely consequence. Uh, but when it actually came to it, uh, they were still had three hours' notice that it was going to happen. And just a simple phone call from uh, the Prime Minister to, to Alan Joyce, uh, a commitment to take action. They didn't even have to do it all by five o'clock. If there'd been any kind of commitment uh, by the government to, to take the necessary action to bring this to a head, then Qantas would, would not have grounded its fleet. Uh, so there was a capacity for the government to intervene, they should have, and that would have saved a lot of trouble to a lot of Australians. Julia and um, Anthony Albanese have been at great pains to point out that they weren't told that this was going to happen. They they were given a, uh, a if anything, by the time they tracked down Alan, he apparently, he confirmed it was going to happen, but said that if uh, they 
preempted it. He was going to make it happen right that second rather than at five o'clock. They, they're claiming they had no warning that they were going to ground every flight. Well, over many months, uh, Qantas had been talking to Minister Albanese. They've been talking uh, after their discussions with him to me or sometimes before his disco- their discussions uh, with him, they'd been to me. And they'd been telling us for a long time that this uh, slow bleeding to death was something the company could not tolerate and that grounding the fleet was an option. Now, uh, it, it may well be that they hadn't spoken to to, to uh, Mr Albanese in the last couple of days to to telegraph this action, but they did give him three hours' notice. Uh, and and uh, that was plenty of time for the government to act. After all, it only took them 45 minutes after Qantas grounded the fleet for them to, to, to go off to Fair Work Australia. So they could have actually taken the action if they'd been a mind, of a mind to do so. And as I said earlier... They didn't even have to complete the 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 the, uh, the action. All they had to do was to indicate to, to Qantas that they are prepared to respond. And in those circumstances, I'm sure Qantas would not have grounded the fleet. It was the the whole action was completely irrevocable uh, at the time that the uh, only became irrevocable after the government said it wouldn't action. It wouldn't act. A lot of the uh, issues that seem to be at the core of this dispute, more than being about pay and conditions, they seem to be more about job security and the uh, the proposed restructure of the carrier. How does the coalition view uh, Qantas's plans to restructure and, and basically, uh, you know, venture into Asia? I mean, what is the coalition's view on that? Are they doing the right thing? Well, certainly job security is one of the issues that the unions have raised, but most of them were also asking for significant pay rises, a whole range of very generous new conditions. So it was a, a significant claim in addition to the issue of job security. Now, I think that uh, employers uh, need to offer security to their employees wherever they possibly can. Um, Qantas has not been a scrooge when it comes to uh, wages, etc. Most of their employees are, are the best paid in this country and in some cases the best paid in the world. Uh, what the issue has been, however, is that uh, Qantas these days uh, has modern aircraft and modern aircraft like modern cars don't require the same level of service as, as was needed in some of the older aircraft. So you don't need as many licensed engineers as you once did. Uh, you don't need uh, some of the other uh, em- employees that have been traditionally a part of their employment mix. Now, you, you can't ask a company to keep employing people whose, whose jobs are no longer required. We don't ask trucking companies to keep horseshoe makers <laughs> because once upon a time they had horse and carts. So we've got to accept that modern aircraft are different from the some of the noisy old things we had in the past, and they don't require the same level of service. And I think that uh, an, an employer's got to have some freedom to make sure that, that the mix in their workforce is relevant to their current needs. Now, the second point that the industry's been a bit concerned about is uh, Qantas's proposals to establish uh, or be a partner in airlines being established in, in Asia. Well, the first of those is the proposed new low-cost carrier in Japan. It's going to operate exclusively uh, on routes within Japan. Uh, 
uh, Qantas will only be a minor shareholder uh, in a company with uh, with uh, in company with a number of other corporations to actually run that airline. It's completely unreasonable to suggest that an airline that Qantas is only a minority owner that's not going to operate in and out of Australia should have its aircraft serviced in Australia. Uh, nor is it reasonable to expect that they should have Qantas pilots on them when in fact Qantas is not even the major shareholder. Uh, and, and, and furthermore, I don't, I don't see that operation as having any adverse impact on jobs in Australia at all. In fact, uh, because it's obviously hoped it'll be a profitable airline, it could return some dividends back to Australia, make Qantas a more profitable company and enable it to provide better services here in Australia. Now, the second company that they're talking about is the proposed new premium carrier, presumably based in either Singapore or Kuala Lumpur. Again, that's going to be a foreign company. It's going to be registered in Singapore or Kuala Lumpur. It's uh, going to operate on uh, on an air operator certificate for, from uh, issued by that country. It's going to use that country's uh, landing rights. It's a premium carrier. It's different from the Qantas operations. They're operating. Uh, they're going to operate uh, A320 aircraft with only about 90 seats in them, uh, about a third of uh, of what uh, Jetstar pack into them in Australia. And so, in reality, it's going to be a very different kind of operation. Because they're smaller aircraft, they may well result in them uh, running uh, services into some cities in Australia that currently don't have international flights, like, say, Canberra or, or, or Cairns or the Gold Coast, uh, where, there's, uh, where, there's, where there's potential for connections to, to, to uh, cities like Singapore. So I think that uh, this is a new dimension to the business. I think it's a brave venture on Qantas's part because they're certainly seeking to uh, open up an airline with, with a premium service in a, at a time when um, uh, it seems to be the discount carriers that are making the biggest impact. And they very much intend it to be an airline that will service uh, areas in China and India where they're, they're, the, the, the flying kangaroo has, uh, has, been, has had such difficulty in getting established. So again, I see it as a, as a plus for Australia to have, a, to have a connections with an airline of that nature. Uh, and, and, and there is no reason why it needs to result in there being jobs lost in Australia. Senator Nick Xenophon in a recent Senate inquiry uh, made mention of some information that he'd been given, uh, which, which basically in a nutshell suggests that Qantas has perhaps structured their international arm in such a way that it uh, perhaps can't make money or perhaps exacerbates its losses. Um, has there been any further information come to hand about that and what would be your view about that? Well, Senator Xenophon and some of the unions have actually argued that Qantas has essentially manipulated its accounts to give the impression that their international operations are running at a loss, uh, when in fact they're not, by claiming that Qantas is picking up the, the costs for some of the Jetstar operations and that, they're, and, and that they're going on the wrong balance sheet. Now, that's a pretty outrageous ap- uh, ac- uh, accusation. You know, Qantas has got a re- is responsible to the, the prudential regulators in Australia. They've got to they, their accounts are audited. They can't simply shift money from one side to the other and and not and not be subject to to very serious penalties. Uh, Qantas have responded to each of the allegations about. Uh, about uh, funds being wrongly attributed to accounts, um, and uh, and I've got no reason to believe that the information that Qantas has provided is anything other than accurate. If it's not accurate, 
their directors and their management are guilty of very serious offences uh, which should carry jail penalties. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure that Qantas is, is reporting its uh, financial affairs accurately. Okay, I was, I was interested about that one because uh, I was under the impression because Qantas and Jetstar, they're all just divisions of the one conglomerate, it's all still valid reporting of uh, these are the expenses and these are the incomes of the of the group as a whole but how you allocate it internally is is not covered by that law is that the case or is it well, well no each of the companies have to have to report separately but then there is also a consolidated uh, series of accounts so they can't simply pretend that costs being um, worn by one company uh, can can be can be paid by another and uh, I think it's quite clear that uh, in, when the specific allegations have been made, Qantas have been able to indicate that where there are, uh, for instance, in I think it was uh, one of the Asian countries, uh, staff that were employed by Qantas, and now it's Jetstar that's running uh, into, into that country, that there is full cost recovery from Jetstar for the wages and expenses of those staff. So they've been able to provide explanations and and those explanations seem to me to be reasonable. Just as we finish off here, Mr. Truss, if I can just uh, switch to the uh, the other big issue at the moment, which is the carbon tax. Um, what is your take on the way the carbon tax will uh, will affect the industry, if at all, and particularly with regard to general aviation? We know that the airlines are going to pass on the costs in, uh, in ticket prices, but uh, has there been much feedback from general aviation to your side of politics? Well, obviously, uh, general aviation is concerned about the higher cost that the carbon tax will inevitably bring to their to their operations, and and in some instances they'll be trying to pass that on to their customers. But we know it's a financially stressed sector in many areas, and they'll have difficulty doing that. Those who operate internationally, and and in particular uh, uh, our international airlines, will of course face. Uh, the, the double difficulty of these extra costs that their competitors uh, don't have to meet. Uh, it'll only be Australian carriers uh, or airlines operating in Australia that will pay this tax. And so that means it'll be just that less, attract, more, uh, less attractive for people to travel in Australia because our airfares will go up. You can go to other, you can go to China or you can go to uh, uh, any other tourist destination in the world and you won't pay these taxes. If you holiday from from, if you're in Sydney and you holiday on, in Cairns or the Gold Coast or Air Rock, Air's Rock, you'll pay a carbon tax. But if you go to Vanuatu or Honolulu or to uh, or to Bali, you, you won't. So that just makes the lot of the tourist industry in this country just so much harder. It's uh, certainly going to place uh, more strain on Qantas, I guess, at a time that they uh, they really don't need it. Well, certainly it'll it'll make it less attractive for people to travel to Australia. And, and our tourist industry, which is already struggling with a high dollar, high costs in this country, is just going to find it so much more difficult. Uh, with the economic um, circumstances in our current country slowing down the way they are at the present time, this is just the wrong ta- time to impose a new penalty on Australian industry. Warren Truss is the member for Wide Bay up there in Queensland, and he's also the leader of the National Party. Mr Truss, we really uh, thank you for spending some time with us this morning. You're very welcome. Well, welcome back to the show from the ALAEA, Steve Pavunas. G'day, Steve. Hey, guys. What a uh, tumultuous week it's been for you, and I'm sure you're exhausted. We appreciate you uh, spending a quick few moments with us. Um, what is the current state of play? Well, at the moment, what we're doing is assessing the situation that is uh, preparing for upcoming negotiations through the 21-day period. We've set some meetings up with Qantas so that can take place, and uh, we'll work our way through the issues there. We've just spoken to uh, Warren Truss, who's uh, obviously uh, being from their side of politics uh, very much in the side of the company, but uh, one interesting comment he made was this. Qantas these days 
uh, has modern aircraft. And modern aircraft, like modern cars, don't require the same level of service as, as was needed in some of the older aircraft. So you don't need as many licensed engineers as you once did. Uh, you don't need uh, some of the other uh, em employees that have been traditionally a part of their employment mix. Now, you, you can't ask a company to keep employing people whose, whose jobs are no longer required. Now, the reason I play that to you, Steve, is because the Qantas media machine seems to be painting this as purely about wages, whereas our take on this has been that this is more about the restructure and, and the way the airline will work in the modern environment. What's, what's your reaction to uh, what Mr Truss has had to say there? Yeah, it sounds like uh, Qantas getting their supporters to start to realise that this dispute has nothing to do with wages. It's all about job security and it's all about maintenance on aircraft from our perspective. Uh, Warren's uh, obviously not an aircraft engineer and uh, sounds like he's just believing some of the media hype from Qantas. The newest aircraft Qantas has is the A380 and that's a, uh, a very avionics intense aircraft and what Qantas have found is that that probably requires more uh, labour, not just because of the size of the aircraft but because of the complexity of the avionics systems uh, than uh, an older aircraft would so uh, to uh, just accept uh, carte blanche from uh, Qantas that they just don't need engineers anymore is a little bit naive of Mr Truss. I want to clarify something with you uh, that doesn't seem to be coming out in the mainstream media Steve. They're looking at expanding and setting up these new airlines in Asia and they're making out that your union is wanting that maintenance work from that airline to come to Australia. Is that the case or is it more focused on the existing Qantas fleet here in Australia now? It probably is more the case because what they're trying to do is uh, cut back on Qantas services, which is the work that we do on Qantas aircraft, and use the capital that was previously invested there in new airlines in Asia that are yet to even be named. And, uh, uh, of course, the idea behind that is not because they want to uh, use the goodwill that the new company would start up with. They're uh, doing it purely to avoid labour laws and, uh, more importantly, in our case, the CASA regulations because the aircraft will be registered in a different country, come under different different laws where it may be possible for them to exercise less maintenance on those aircraft. So uh, there's uh, quite a number of issues at play here. And yes, the whole mix of them uh, starting up new carriers is done to avoid their obligations under Australian laws. One of the things that came out during the, uh, the industrial action coming up to the Big Bang, so to speak, was the fact that uh, the engineers were no longer doing uh, overtime. I believe it was almost mandatory overtime that was required to keep the fleet flying. Is that correct? Look, through this dispute, we've always had a situation where Qantas had available 5,000 man hours on any given day that they could have called upon in overtime from our members, and they didn't call those people in. So if it was a case that our overtime bands were uh, limiting their ability to carry out maintenance on their aircraft, uh, that's, uh, again, nothing more than a situation fabricated or created by Qantas because they're the ones who didn't call the people into work. So what, what's going on that they actually, to keep these aircraft flying, have to use overtime? Uh, it sounds like typically when you hear that for an organisation to continue running by, it has to have overtime happening. It sounds almost like it doesn't have enough resources. It needs more engineers. Yeah, it's uh, amazing uh, the things that you read in the papers and the reality of the situation. I think uh, it's an acceptable practice at Qantas that they normally use about 10% of their labour is, comes from overtime, which is probably understandable. I mean, you have uh, you have to do that because you have some peaks and troughs in your workload, so that's all right. But uh, to 
in order to uh, press their cause publicly and uh, uh, those public statements, of course, being used in the courtrooms over the weekend, uh, all of a sudden they required 25% of their labour on overtime. So um, uh, for the purpose of uh, convincing certain people like Mr Trust that certain things need to be done, uh, they will say anything. In the in all the uh, kerfuffle and the lead up to the uh, the big event, there were various comments that management have uh, have used as indicating that uh, it was just untenable, including not just the strikes and then calling them off and calling them on and so on, but uh, also, I believe it was you made the comment you wouldn't recommend flying on Qantas. Is that correct? Uh, what I actually said was that if I was considering travel in uh, the period up until Christmas, I, I wouldn't buy a ticket on Qantas. And yep. uh, sure enough, that prediction uh, turned out to be true because so many people who didn't hear or uh, believe what I was saying were left stranded, 140,000 people over the uh, 48 hours or so that the airline were grounded. But uh, I think my advice was uh, timely and it's proven to be accurate. Do you, do you feel that the uh, company has manipulated you, it, like set up scenarios where this is likely to happen, that you're going to get upset, make comments, and then they can use that against you later to escalate and, and bring this whole potentially premeditated situation to a head? Well, I've never stepped back from that comment and I've continued to make it, so it's uh, not something that they've flushed out of me. I think it probably caught them by surprise. Um, but engineered, this situation was entirely engineered by Qantas. They stood up in the courtrooms and said that uh, they were unaware of uh, uh, the decision that was about to be made until the day it was made when we know that uh, management staff were positioned all around the world for uh, a few days beforehand. Uh, we believe, well, well, it actually come out in the courtrooms that they um, they carried out or done some internal uh, risk assessments uh, on the 20th of October, which is uh, what a week and a half before uh, this decision by Alan Joyce, and certainly information's flooding in from our members about other things that were taking place uh, in the lead up to this uh, very calculated move by the airline. Well, it is interesting that the airline claims that they had been warning government that this would happen, and yet then they turn around at the same time and say that, oh, no, we only just decided it on the Saturday morning. So they, if for them to be able to say that they had warned the government and told them that they would shut everything down, they must have considered it and planned for it. Well, they definitely were planning for it. They even admitted that uh, in the courtrooms, but uh, I think their comments were that they that was, they hadn't told the government they were going to do this. They told the government, though, that uh, the dispute itself was um, not going to be able to go on forever because they were losing X amount of dollars a day, which, uh, again, we believe is another uh, thing that they've created, created by uh, not uh, accepting overtime and things like that from our members through the period. When they say they want to move to uh, world's best practice and walk away from uh, you know the work practices of the past, I mean, do they, do they have any uh, uh, reasonable points there? I mean, they are dealing in an environment now where they, they're dealing with competitors from overseas that are getting their maintenance done in different ways and a lot cheaper. I mean, are there any points there that you can agree with them on or do you believe that uh, the, the work practices that are going on here in Australia are world's best practice? Look, all of the engineers at Qantas want Qantas to be a successful airline uh, both today and into the future. And we know what we're competing with and there's some things that our members would not have a problem uh, doing in the way of change uh, for efficiency's sake, uh, so long as those changes are safe. Now, the one example of something that has been discussed at length with the airline and a change that they're trying to introduce, they've said, would lead to 128 redundancies. And uh, we've 
said, all right, well, here's a change you want, but we think that these aspects of the change are not going to be in the best interest of the company, but here's a counter offer that would allow you to get rid of 108 people, but it would keep some uh, control over your operation with some lamies involved in certain aspects of that work. So their initial claim was 128 job losses. Our counter claim was, all right, 108, and they've said, no, we don't accept that. And then they go around in the press and say that uh, the union's got a veto on change, which is another fallacy that they've uh, been uh, putting out there. So just to clarify, this is much more about uh, conditions uh, and job security in your view more than a wage claim is uh, the Qantas media machine keep putting out? I think this is a battle about the entire existence of Qantas and where it's going to go into the future. I mean, job security is more than just do we carry out uh, a certain task out on, on the tarmac. Job security goes to a very risky proposition of Alan Joyce that he's going to invest $9 billion, and that's quite a bit of money, $9 billion on 110 new aircraft and not one of those aircraft is going to come to Qantas. We think that those strategies are the things that are going to undermine our job security when their probably uh, their most prominent investment in Asia to date has been Jetstar Pacific, the Vietnamese-based carrier that <laughs> is losing millions of dollars every day. So their experiences up in Asia so far have been quite sour. So they're going to throw more money at that situation, and I think they're the things that are going to undermine our job security. And just by contrast, just before we let you go there, Steve, if you look at uh, Jetstar, and I guess if we even look at Virgin, they obviously operate differently to Qantas. Where are they getting the bulk of their maintenance done? Look, uh, the uh, if I could have a look at Virgin firstly, Virgin carry out their heavy maintenance in New Zealand, and we don't have any issue whatsoever with the quality of the product coming from New Zealand, so uh, that is not an issue. But on the, on, on the other hand, they've also announced that they're going to build new hangars in Sydney to bring uh, maintenance work back into this country. So Virgin are heading in a very uh, comfortable and safe direction. Jetstar carry out uh, maintenance on their smaller aircraft in Newcastle, and uh, some of the aircraft that they lease off Qantas such as the A330s, were maintained in Brisbane until recently and have just announced that they're going to ship that work to Manila. So uh, another decision by Qantas Management to ship jobs offshore. And it, an interesting uh, point that came up when we were I was chatting with Dick Smith, uh, he said he would have shut down the international arm of uh, Qantas five years ago because he said there's no way that Australia can compete with uh, international operations when they're paying international rates for like rates of people based in China, in India, you know, in Asia, things like that. Uh, how do you feel about that kind of comment? Oh, Dick Smith's obviously out of touch with the industry these days. Uh, the difference between uh, the price of maintenance in Australia and Asia was um, amplified uh, over the Christmas period last year when a $200 million bid for work went between the Avalon facility in Victoria and Hong Kong. The Hong Kong bid come in 2.5% cheaper, and that is just a drop in, in the ocean when it comes to uh, price, 2.5%. Yeah. It's the difference between labour here and overseas. Qantas can compete absolutely with the overseas carriers. They have excellent load factors. Their load factor last year on international services was 82.6%, and that's for an airline that uh, is at the top end of the pricing structure. So competing internationally is something that Qantas has done well in the past and uh, we believe is doing well today despite what Qantas are saying. And uh, if they continue to sell their premium products, and not uh, invest uh, at the expense of
Aquinas into the low-cost carriers, they're going to continue to be successful into the future. Steve Pavernas is the Secretary of the Australian Licensed Aircraft Engineers Association. Steve, we really do thank you for uh, spending some time here on PCDU this afternoon. Hey, no worries, guys. Ciao. Always wanted to be a Top Gun? Looking for the ultimate heart-pumping experience? JetRide gives you that and more. With your personally tailored flight and individual gift pack, JetRide will make your dreams come true. At up to 900 k's an hour in a Soviet-era L-39, this is the jet fighter thrill of a lifetime. Go to jetride.com.au slash PCDU or in Australia call 1300 554 876. Nothing is impossible. Whether you're buying or selling a light single-engine aircraft or a corporate jet, do it faster and easier with aviationadvertiser.com.au. Aviationadvertiser.com.au is Australia's largest aviation marketplace. As the country's largest source of aircraft classifieds, you'll find hundreds of new and used aircraft of all types online 24 hours a day. With ads from just $39 and the convenience of buying and selling online, it's easy and affordable. Connect with Australia's largest buy and sell aviation community at aviation.com.au. I'm James Williams from Podcasters Emporium and you're listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, now proudly part of the Lifestyle Pod Network. Joining us on the line is the independent senator from South Australia, Senator Nick Xenophon. Uh, he's been very influential uh, and very outspoken, in fact, in the uh, the recent happenings uh, with uh, Qantas. Uh, senator, thanks for spending some time with us. No problem. Senator, uh, going through a lot of the press reports and listening to you on radio, um, and I know this has been a very polarising issue. A lot of people are falling on one side or the other. You appear to be coming down very much on the side of the uh, Qantas employees. Would uh, that be a fair statement? Well, I think it is a fair statement, given the information I've received about this. Uh, the information I've heard, uh, the material that I've received, uh, I really have concerns about what is happening at Qantas. Uh, I fly a lot, obviously, for the job that I do. I think it was 150 flights last year. Uh, majority of those flights would have been on Qantas. And what strikes me is the number of Qantas employees that come up to me and tell me how bad morale is, how bad things are, how they feel uh, that management have... Uh, taken a combative approach to them uh, and that really worries me uh, because I think they're terrific staff. Uh, you've got pilots and crew that are the highest trained anywhere in the world, uh, impeccable safety standards and they just feel under enormous pressure and I think there's something, I think Qantas management's approach, the Qantas group management's approach, um, it leaves something to be desired. That definitely seems to have been the case over the last 10 years from Dixon on. It's been very confrontational and uh, almost as if it was trying to set up the, the situation that happened over the weekend. Well, look, it is a tough industry, but does it have to be that confrontational? When you see that one of the most successful airlines in the world is a low-cost carrier, Southwest Airlines in the US, uh, an airline that has a cooperative approach between uh, the management and unions, their workforce work well together, um, where in terms of industrial disputation, it is practically non-existent, as I understand it, then you know there is a better way of dealing with this. But I think that there is a fear that Qantas will continue to seek to offshore, uh, to set up bases uh, in Asia uh, to the detriment of the Australian workforce. I think anecdotally, at least, we, we perhaps see that sort of a management approach at perhaps Virgin, um, which seem to be doing things a lot differently to Qantas. The morale, it's chalk and cheese, the difference in morale between Qantas and Virgin. And, um, you know, that's not to say that the Virgin staff don't work very hard. And, you know, I talked to tired Virgin staff 
but they're at least happy there because they feel that they're being listened to uh, and that there is a cooperative approach. Now, um, it's a tough world, the airline business. It's tough competitively, uh, especially internationally. But this sort of approach, I really wonder whether grounding the entire airline uh, may have been seen as a short-term victory for Qantas management. But what will it do to the brand? What will it do to the long-term future of the airline, and I, I really think there must be a better way of handling this. Do you believe yeah. that uh, sending it off to Fair Work Australia was a, uh, a very deliberate move by Alan Joyce and his board to bring the government in? Well, look, it paid off, didn't it? Uh, under those national economy, you know, damage the national economy provisions, um, it's a very interesting legal issue. I think it's still playing out in terms of what will occur. But what I'm concerned about is that you have a great airline, a great brand, and what is happening as a result of this industrial uh, dispute, uh, the fact that the morale is rock bottom in the Qantas group among its, amongst its employees, not just those in the air, but those on the ground. Um, how can that be good for, uh, for the brand? How can it be good for customers? Not, that's not to say that the staff aren't terrific to their passengers, but it's just that morale sapping approach um, of management seems to be completely corrosive. In the recent past, uh, you've raised issues related to uh, claims that Qantas is propping up Jetstar. There's been quite a number of uh, items raised there, ranging from legal staff being charged to Qantas who are actually doing Jetstar work through to uh, claims from the pilots recently that uh, fuel is being allocated to Qantas or Jetstar depending on how much it costs and so on. Uh, We've had uh, Dick Smith and Warren Truss on separately earlier, and they've both pointed out the the line that uh, they believe it would be illegal to prop up Jetstar due to accounts, public company, um, directors, liability, and so on. H- how does that gel for you? That statement. Well, there will be a Senate inquiry uh, this Friday in relation to a couple of bills introduced. One of them was co-sponsored by Bob Brown about um, outsourcing, offshoring of Qantas. Um, services and also another bill relates to flight crew that overseas based flight crew should receive uh, the same conditions and particularly in relation to fatigue management uh, as uh, Qantas employees based here Uh, and that is something that uh, Alan Joyce and Bruce Buchanan to their credit are willingly coming to this Senate inquiry so I think these are issues that could be explored during the Senate inquiry. Speaking from a purely political point of view, Senator, I noticed this morning in the lower house at question time and even yesterday, there's, you know, the, the predictable, I guess, mudslinging has uh, started between uh, the, the coalition and Labor. Personally, I find this unhelpful. What, what is your view on that? And I mean, really, should we now be just looking to the inquiry and uh, perhaps seeing what comes of that before that let's look at the core. Let's look at the core issues of these bills. Blaming who knew what when, I don't think is very helpful. Obviously, you know, the opposition and the government want to score points of each other, but I just don't find it useful at all. Um, I think that the key issues here are what is the long-term future of Qantas, uh, and I hope it has a very bright future here in Australia. As an Australian carrier, are the steps of outsourcing, offshoring, what effect will they have? What is the strategic national interest implications of our national flag carrier uh, and I think we've seen that you know we've talked about the horse that stops a nation well this was the airline that stopped a nation uh, in the past few days and I think that is very important that there must be an obligation if you have such a share of the marketplace domestically that you are the national flag carrier that there has there is a Qantas Sales Act that anticipated well that took into account the fact that it was formerly publicly owned 
uh, I just think there must be some further obligations that aren't unreasonable, but that reflect the fact that without Qantas up in the air flying, we really are in all sorts of strife in this country. And perhaps just as we wrap up here, um, I, I'm curious, I'm intrigued by the Furwork Australia uh, the issue. Do you, do you think perhaps uh, it would have been better if there'd just been a, a ministerial directive to terminate? You know, initially I thought that, and initially I thought that the opposition had a point. But when you look at experts such as Professor Andrew Stewart, uh, from Adelaide University, who, or an Adelaide academic who's very well respected uh, on these issues, he and other academics who know this know this stuff say that the ministerial directive could have opened itself up to legal challenge. So, you know, my gut feeling initially, my initial reaction was the government should have moved in, uh, but having listened to experts such as Professor Stewart, I think that you know they did the right thing and that we got the result eventually. Fantastic. Senator Nick Xenophon is the independent senator for South Australia. Senator, we really appreciate you on this very busy day spending some time with us. Uh, I've got to go to another meeting, so excuse the pun, but I've got to fly. <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much, Nick. Thanks for your time, mate. Okay, thanks, guys. Bye. Dick Smith, welcome back to Playing Crazy Down Under. Thanks for giving us a few moments of your time. Great to be talking to you again. Okay, Dick, uh, regarding the whole Qantas situation, uh, how do you believe it was allowed to get into this current situation that we're experiencing? I think basically because of total lack of leadership from our Prime Minister. How do you mean? See, what's happened is uh, Australia's been opened up to, a, in, a, in effect, a free skies policy. And w- when that happened, let's say, for example, when I was younger, Gough Whitlam decided that we should have, in effect, open skies when it comes to manufacturing of electronic equipment, we should remove the duties. And he made it quite clear then that that would probably mean that we wouldn't have any electronics manufacturing industry at all. And indeed, within about two years, all the television set manufacturers, wonderful companies like Asta and AWA, they all closed down. Now, when the government decided we should have open skies and allow carriers from overseas that have far lower wage structures operate here, they should have also said to us, look, that probably means, most likely means we won't have an international airline at all because we won't be able to compete paying Australian salaries and wages and conditions. But they didn't say that. They've said nothing. And so you have the Australian public thinking that we can keep Qantas International going whilst, by the way, most of us have abandoned Qantas, 8 out of 10 and eventually it'll be 9 out of 10 and then 10 out of 10 will fly with anyone other than Qantas to save a dollar. And uh, this hasn't been communicated. Uh, Of course, there are other implications. Not having an international airline can have great security implications. Uh, I think it at least should be discussed by our politicians, but they haven't done that. Now, you, you point out that people are leaving Qantas, and yes, you're right, many are chasing the lower price, and we are quite guilty of the race to the bottom as a collective whole. Uh, you see that with Tiger and Jetstar and so on, but there's also been discussions that a number of people have left Qantas because uh, their routes into particularly Europe, where you have to transit, for instance, Frankfurt to get to Bonn, whereas other groups, you do a one-stop either through Singapore, through an Asian airline, or through the Middle East, and it's it's a one stop instead of two or three stops to get to where you're going in Europe. Uh, do you think that would have played a uh, significant part in the loss of people? Not a significant part, but a part. And uh, of course, if you've got your operations based in Dubai or based in Singapore, you've got some great advantages there. But a normal business like Qantas would just move to Singapore or Dubai as the base. But uh, of course, we wouldn't allow Qantas to do that. If Qantas decided to make their base in Dubai, everyone would go berserk. It's amazing. We sort of think as Australians, oh, we own Qantas. We all love Qantas, we're going to support Qantas. But in effect, we don't. We 
dump Qantas so quickly and just go with the cheapest carrier. And in fact, it's interesting, I'm expanding Dick Smith Foods again, and, and in talking to the major supermarket buyers, I've said, look, will Australians pay 20 cents more to support Australian farmers to get Australian quality food? And, and each of the supermarket buyers have said, no, they won't. Australians don't give us stuff about fellow workers, about Australian working conditions. They're only interested in buying everything for the cheapest price. So they're predicting that Dick Smith Foods will go broke. It won't succeed. And in that case, basically every bit of our food will come from China, like every international airline we have presumably will be based in China or India or the Middle East. Well, that's uh, certainly uh, giving a bit of a challenge to the Aussie uh, consumer there on the uh, Dick Smith food side. But Qantas have been trying to uh, relocate their base if you uh, take a cynical view of what they're doing with uh, the Jetstar, uh, their international operations based out of Singapore that are going on out of Auckland. They're pushed to get more aircraft into Malaysia or Singapore with the new uh, premium quality. Do you think this should have been allowed provided they uh, they were actually open and honest about what they're trying to do? Well, I don't take a cynical view of it. I just say that perhaps what they're trying to do is to survive. And I'm amazed that Qantas International exists. I would have closed it down five years ago. I would have said to the government, look, if you're going to have open skies, and where we're different, every time Emirates or Etihad apply to have uh, flights into Australia capacity, they just said yes. Whereas even if you looked at the communist government in Hong Kong, it, it protects cafe. But there's absolutely no protection because what the Labor government wants is the absolute cheapest possible airfare so Australian can or go on you know, holidays in Bali and places like that. The downside is, just as we don't manufacture TV sets anymore, we won't have an airline, or if we do, it will have to pay low-cost global wages so it can compete with low-cost global fares. Now, how long is the, uh, you, you were saying about when they come in and request uh, new routes and uh, frequencies from overseas, and we're not really pushing the whole reciprocal agreement side of things. That's been going on for 20 or more years, hasn't it? Well, yes, it has been because whereas in the past our airlines were protected just as politicians are protected. Can you imagine if we said, look, let's get um, some Chinese, pay Chinese wages for our politicians? Well, that wouldn't happen. And what about lawyers? I mean, imagine if you could get your conveyancing done for your next house using a Chinese lawyer at a tenth the price. But anyone who's powerful protects themselves, whereas when it comes to the Qantas workers, they're told, oh, no, no, you have to compete. You know, you have to go and compete. You have to, it's a world market. Now. So in other words, a Qantas worker has to compete, but a politician or a lawyer or anyone in a powerful group, a doctor, well, they're completely protected from competition. Yeah, well, I guess I guess once we get uh, the internet working better so that you can go to your doctor or tele remotely, it doesn't matter whether they're uh, down the road or, or on the other side of the planet, does it? It might happen, but I bet you'll find the doctors will protect themselves so you can't get a referral from a, a doctor who resides in China who's being paid $20 an hour <laughs> and use that as a referral to get medicines or a referral to a special. Here. I bet that won't be allowed. You wait, the doctors here will protect their particular system, and as, as they have a right to do, mm-hmm. but I just think the government should be honest and say, look, we've basically decided to abandon having an airline that pays Australia's good conditions and, and rates because we all want cheap airfares. No, I can see where you're coming from there. I, uh, from my perspective, I, I could see Qantas survival by going offshore, but I just wish they had been a little bit more honest about it. It's, uh, from my perspective, I'm seeing it 
it feels a bit duplicitous. No, 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 Qantas Mainline's still going, but by the way, everything's going offshore. If they had have just been open and honest about it, do you think there's been a lack of honesty in that respect? Well, they can't be open and honest about it because we're so bloody stupid. I mean, you only have to look at the newspaper this morning and half the letters coming in are criticising the union and then the other half are criticising the management. And no one's actually criticising the real fact and that is that we Australians insist on paying global prices, low global prices for our air tickets. And so low global prices for air tickets means low global uh, wages and conditions for people who provide the service the air ticket's going to be used for. Now, we should admit to that. So all these letters blaming one side, presumably if you're a worker, you blame the bosses, and then if you're a <laughs> capitalist, you blame the worker, when the truth is eight out of ten of us have abandoned Qantas and we fly with any foreign airline we can to save a dollar. Yeah, and then find other reasons to justify it, yeah? Yeah, and by the way, when I say abandoned Qantas, no, abandoned fellow Australians. As the supermarket buyers said to me, Dick, Australians do not give a stuff about supporting Australian farmers. They are only interested in the cheapest price. Now, of course, we sort of make out, oh, you know, I support Australia, I'd support Australia, but normally it means I'll support Australia if it's the same price. Well, yeah. it won't be. It's as simple as that because <laughs> a farmer needs more money than a, a farmer in China who might earn a dollar a day. And uh, you can see it with people buying tickets for, you know, they buy their Tiger tickets or um, Jetstar or things like that and then complain about the lack of service but forget (laughs) that they're forced to race to the bottom. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, you're interviewing me about this. I've just been harassed by the media this weekend, and I'm quite annoyed because I don't have any involvement with Qantas at all. My last real involvement was 25 years ago when they sponsored my helicopter flight around the world, which was fantastic. And then 10 years ago when I was chairman of CASA, I had a bit to do with them. Uh, Mainly, it was quite amazing that I was bringing in changes which would save them money and which in, in, indeed saved them tens of millions of dollars, uh, but they were not, not supportive at all. All they ever did was attack me and undermine me. And uh, here I am out there saying it how it is, not so much for Qantas and not so much for the unions, even though I feel for both, but just for Australians saying, look, these are the facts. If we want cheap global ticket prices, we're going to end up with cheap global wages being paid. Most people don't like hearing the truth or being having their eyes open that it's it's not one or the other, it's all of us. Absolutely. And it's interesting uh, that uh, you know, telling the facts as they are, I find it's amazing. I mean, there's all these conspiracy theories. Of course, the pilots will tell you that Qantas International is across subsidising Jetstar. Now, first of all, if it's a public company, that would be illegal. Someone would be put in jail for falsifying the accounts like that. I was listening to radio driving back here today and there was a Qantas pilot saying that when they put fuel in the Qantas plane, if it's cheap, it's charged to Jetstar and if it's expensive, it's charged to Qantas. Now, I just can't believe that. I mean, this is a public company and if they were doing something like that, yes, it doesn't matter what's on the invoice, but if one was being charged to the other and they were falsifying the account, they will end up in jail. So why would they bother to do that? It just doesn't seem to be necessary because anyone would know that Qantas International must be losing money because it has such higher prices and higher costs than Etihad and Emirates and companies like that. Well, one question on the falsifying accounts, is it really falsifying if you're just putting it into a different ledger? Well, it's not if you, if you, it doesn't matter which way you book it, but when you actually do the accounts, if you have a public company and you're not showing the true cost as they are, I would imagine that would be falsifying an account that would be illegal. The laws we have in relation to public companies are very strong and huge responsibilities for directors, quite different to the no responsibility a politician has. <laughs> so I, I would think that they would be very un 
and wise to do that. And I can't see the reason for doing it because there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that Qantas International would be having great difficulties financially. Now, of course, many of the pilots say it's because of the stupid management decisions that have been made. They bought the wrong planes and things like that. Well, that could all be part of it. But that's the fact of losing money. In most airlines, you get some stupid decisions, but normally you have enough profit to cover those errors. I bet you'd find Emirates and Etihad make mistakes in things they do, but you have to have enough profit in a company so you can cover those mistakes and then make something extra for your shareholders. I don't think that would be happening with Qantas International at the moment. Well, one last question for you is uh, we were wondering if it was possible that uh, management have perhaps played the union to uh, to get them to arc up and to go very militant so that they could actually uh, blame everything on the unions because now anything that goes wrong with Qantas, oh, it's all because of what the unions have done. Do you see anything like that? No, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't know if that's the process. I think all you'll find is that the management and the board have said, look, if we're going to stay in business internationally, we're going to have to make some ruthless, tough decisions. And they've decided they're going to do that and either do it or close down in effect. And so they've got nothing to lose. And there's great advantages for the workers because even if some of the maintenance gets done overseas and many of the cabin crew come from overseas, it will be an Australian airline. There's, there's no reason why pilots can't all be Australian pilots because they'll have to obviously work the same number of hours as people in Emirates and Etihad, but pilots are always highly paid and I support that because the higher you pay a pilot, the more selective, the more applicants you get and the more selective you can be in picking the best pilots and yep. that's what I want sitting in the back of a plane. So <laughs> that's yeah. So, so that's good, but I, I, I just find it fascinating when people think there's all these conspiracy ideas of how the management's got the unions to, uh, you know, pull on this industrial action. To me, I simply can't believe if I was a union member and my leaders were saying, we're going to have strike action in this huge economic crisis we have in the world today, or we're going to ask for job security, I'd just say, you've got to be joking. Nobody has job security, not even a public servant these days. And it just seemed to be just living in dream world. I mean, it's as if they think the conditions now are like they were 30 years ago when we had the two airline policy and a totally restricted international aviation. Yeah. It's completely changed. If you want to have a job in aviation, you have to be smart, you have to be competitive because Aussies won't support you because you're Australian. They'll only support you if you are competitive. If you're cheaper. Well, if you're cheaper, you said it. And uh, that's the proof of the pudding. I fly everywhere with Qantas, but just recently my wife uh, had to go to New York and back urgently and we fly up the front of the plane and the ticket with Qantas was 22 grand. And I said, it can't be 22 grand to New York and back. It was, that's what we had to pay. And uh, I just couldn't believe it. And I thought, well, no doubt, you know, that's why the pilots are getting paid really well and (laughs) and don't do the number of hours which uh, their colleagues in other airlines would do. But gee, there's not a lot of people who can afford to pay that type of money for a flight to New York and back. No, no, that is, there's a lot of folks who say, you know, for the price of business with Qantas, you can get first class with another airline. Well, there you are. And, And one of the problems is that whereas I always fly Qantas because I'm loyal to Australia, I'm loyal to Australian workers, I would always pay more to support Australian workers. That's why I don't buy the cheapest food. I try and buy Australian stuff. Unfortunately, most people either can't afford it or even most of my wealthy mates don't fly Qantas because they just look for the cheapest air ticket. They're utterly selfish and they sort of say, oh, why should I support Australia? I just want to go with whoever's cheapest. 
And that's pretty much the way it is these days, isn't it? Absolutely. And so that's where if you're a worker with Qantas, I think they should be saying, isn't this incredible? We have a chief executive, we have a board that says we can stay in business and we can do well. Their plan is to you know, have other operations in Singapore, and presumably get as much maintenance that could be done overseas as possible. All of those sound positive things. Otherwise, they could be like AWA. Instead of AWA, the wonderful television and electronics manufacturer, being bright and saying, let's start manufacturing in Japan or in China. No, no, they tried to battle on here and went broke, lost all their shareholders' money, and that wonderful, iconic brand has gone forever. Well, hopefully that doesn't happen to Qantas, but uh, I guess we'll find out more in the next 21 days' worth of uh, bargaining. Yeah, I think we're more likely to find the next four or five years. And uh, I know if I was the chief executive, I would have said, let's concentrate on Australia. I mean, they made half a million. Let's just concentrate on Australia where we have an even playing field. Let's forget trying to compete. I mean, these companies like... Emirates and Etihad, they don't even pay tax. And so the Qantas has this disadvantage of paying 30% of its profit in tax. Uh, they have the huge disadvantage of having the costs of a public company, which is staggering. That's so all Australians can share in their success. Well, Emirates, they don't have any problems like that. I think they're just owned by some wealthy person in, in, in Dubai. Yeah, <laughs> Very simple. got to pay the, pay the, uh, the royal family. Absolutely. And so you don't have those enormous costs, the cost of reporting, which Australian companies have. Well, Dick Smith, thank you very much for your time. It has, as ever, been a very fascinating chat and uh, you've given me a lot to think about. Good on you. Great to talk to you. Bye-bye. Well, returning to the podcast is our good friend Shashank Nigam, who is the CEO of Simplifying, a uh, group that specializes in airline branding and uh, has quite a good uh, content source on their uh, website, simplifying.com. Shashank, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you very much, Grant. It's good to be back. Um, and I'm looking forward to a nice discussion here. Well, cool. Shashank, uh, Alan Joyce has been talking about the damage to the Qantas brand, and he, he keeps mentioning the word brand, which is why we thought of you. I mean, how is the Qantas brand being viewed in your part of the world up there in Singapore? Is, is there as much damage internationally to them as uh, Alan Joyce is having people believe? Well, to be very frank, this kind of stuff has typically been associated with brands like Air India and Air France. <laughs> which in my view are basket cases when it comes to branding. And unfortunately, Qantas is in the same basket right now. So yeah. there's a bit of repair work because one thing you lose is customer's trust. Uh, and yes, it does have an impact on forward bookings for sure. Uh, but the impact on the brand lasts a long time. People remember, oh, you know, Qantas had a big strike and they canceled all my flights. And they remember... Uh, just about a year ago, they had an engine burst. And yes, it touts itself to be the safest airline in the world, uh, but yet there were issues. So there have been these blows, you know, Qantas brand has had to deal with, which I don't think are affecting it in the right way. But Qantas yeah. is not the only airline that has an engine let go from time to time. Is it just that it's happening now with all this other stuff that's going on that's uh, having a, a multiplying effect? No, absolutely. That, that, is, that is correct. I mean, all of this happening within the last one year, uh, has deeply impacted the brand. Now, the, the, when the unions were making their strikes and uh, going about that action, that would have been impacting the brand. But to my way of looking at it, I would say that uh, what Alan Joyce did by just unannounced, no warning, blam, take everyone out of the air, the big bang attack, I would see that doing more damage than a bunch of occasional strikes of, and potential destabilization as we came up to Christmas. Right, right. But But I think he had to take that step because this was dragging on too long. And nothing was being done. So almost a Margaret Thatcherish kind of stance. 
um, to break to break the to break the unions. And even Tony Fernandez chimed in on Twitter saying, you know, you have to salute Alan Joyce for doing what he's doing. It's not about the versus management, but about the survival in modern world. And I tend to agree with that because operationally, at least this gives people some certainty uh, because uh, the courts have asked these guys to settle their disputes in 21 days. And if this had not been done, you never know what would have happened over Christmas. But you wouldn't have 120,000 plus people sitting around, stuck, unable to pay anything, broke, uh, people who have lost uh, ongoing, like there's, there's reports of people who are coming into Australia then going up to the reef to go uh, on tours and so on. They've lost their hotel bookings. They've lost their uh, their, their tours and no refunds because they're just a no-show. It's it's uh, What are they going to do, take all this back out of Qantas? Well, I mean, it it is it was a tough one. There was It's a double-edged, one of those samurai swords in Japan. You know, you, you got to survive and to survive as a viable carrier in 21st century, I mean, there are two two keywords for Qantas that keep ringing. One is jetstarization of Qantas, and the other is Asianization of Qantas. And for either of these to actually take effect in terms of just operationally, you have to do something like this where unions are either on board or you settle with them ahead of time. Well, it's interesting you talk about the Asianization of Qantas. Um, under the plans for the restructure of uh, not only the company but their route network, they're certainly winding back the number of flights, for example, that are running into Europe and particularly into the UK, um, right. preferring instead to uh, sort of fly halfway and uh, then send their passengers on with British Airways. But it, uh, the, the big news, of course, is that they're wanting to, uh, in partnership with some other airlines, start a new premium carrier uh, based around Japan. Good move or bad move? A risky move? We, we brand it as a risky move. What do you think? Well, one, I'm not sure how certain that Japan relocation is because I think Singapore and Malaysia are up there uh, in terms of being evaluated as well as a base uh, for this new premium airline. Uh, but certainly, if you look at the long term, that's where the premium traffic is. It is in the high growth markets in Asia, be it in China, Japan, Korea, uh, Singapore, APAC. That's where the big growth is coming from what we see in the forecast that, you know, from Boeing and Airbus. And Qantas needs a stronger play there than it has currently. And if that means a premium airline in that region, why not give it a shot? What do you think about the idea of cutting back its uh, its presence in Europe? Is uh, is, is that, a, a, you know, a pragmatic approach? A bit too pragmatic, I would think. Qantas, I think it's, you know, focus, trying to focus on just the route it performs well on, perhaps, uh, you know, flying to Bangkok and then uh, BA flying to Bangkok from the UK and Qantas only flying to Bangkok from Australia. Uh, and I think they've done that for the Hong Kong flights as well. So it's more like, you know, we'll focus on our core uh, and do what we can do best well, rather than trying to dilute our resources, limited resources at that, and try to conquer, you know, Instead of a jack of all trades, you know, you'd be the master of some. And you, you mentioned their Singapore Airlines, and uh, we note just as we record this that they've announced uh, the launch of a new low-cost carrier, which we might talk about in a couple of minutes. But uh, Singapore Airlines holds a lot of clout in your area of the world, and, uh, you know, they, they could have the uh, potentially the ability to make or break any other airline that's going to come into that market. And, indeed, they, they probably have a lot of say, I think, uh, in whether or not a new airline might start. Um, what do you predict that they might do in response to, uh, you know, any new carrier coming in? Well, I don't think Singapore Airlines has much in whether or not a new airline can start in the region, but I do think they have a say. They will make life difficult for any new premium airline, especially starting. Uh, they have been lucky in the fact that over the last few years, over the last decade, lots of new airlines have come up from the AirAsia's of the world to Firefly to you know Garuda doing a rebranding and 
rejuvenating itself. No one has come close to the premium class of airlines, and they have been pretty much shielded in the really high end of the sector. Yes, Emirates is eroding, um, Etihad is coming in, but they're not as strong in that region as Singapore Airlines is. So if Qantas is to set up a premium carrier in APAC, Singapore Airlines will indeed come up hard against them, competing hard. And that's something that Qantas needs to watch out against. How do they differentiate themselves? How do they, um, you know, create a sustainable business model where they need to survive with Singapore Airlines? And that's the reality. Than trying to do away with them. Obviously, your speciality is airline branding, and um, as you say, Aquantis, uh, you know, the brand has obviously suffered here. What sort of strategies would you recommend for Qantas uh, going forward? Uh, at, at some point, uh, this is all going to come to some sort of resolution after one, you know, after a fashion, uh, one way or the right. other. I mean, do they have really, I guess, little choice now but to wait and see what that resolution will be before they start uh, down this path of uh, of a new beginning? I mean, that's certainly the way they've been plugging it, I think perhaps even a little prematurely given what's going on. Right. Well, I think the one thing that this new beginning, whenever it happens, needs to take into account is the sentiments and feelings of the people. Like you said, you know, 120,000 people stranded. Now, if you look at Qantas over the last year since the A380 incidents, for example, has been very good in engaging with customers uh, online, conversing with them using tools like Twitter and Facebook. But for some reason, uh, over the last two weeks uh, or the last few weeks of this uh, union's crisis, they've been, I would say, pretty wooden uh, and stoic in terms of their interactions with customers. So if you look at their tweets, um, it's just announcements. It's as if they are putting press releases over on Twitter yeah. rather than really engaging. And if it is a new beginning, then the last thing they need is our wooden tweets. Uh, <laughs> what they, they need empathy. They need to converse with people. They need to hear them out. And then once they've done that, they've sort of reconciled with these people. They need to cultivate and find key brand influencers and advocates and ambassadors who are still sticking to the Qantas brand and then bring out the story of these people, why exactly they're sticking to the Qantas brand. And this will work much better than Qantas doing a full-page ad in the Sydney Herald saying, hey, we are good, comply with us. Uh, or we are good again, comply with us. Putting a, a full-page ad in the Sydney Morning Herald costs about $100,000 a day. I mean, to send out a few uh, well, well-aimed well tweets and some, uh, some engagement in social media costs next to nothing. Well, here's the thing. The full-page ad in Sydney Morning Herald doesn't need guts. But sending out tweets which converse with people rather than put out press releases needs a lot of guts and <laughs> a lot of willpower internally. And that's what they need. Well, if they're, they're picking a hard line, they're, uh, the, the word is that they're using aircraft that may not be quite suited for a high-quality, um, high long-range kind of airline based in Asia. So uh, they're definitely going up against a few difficult angles right to begin with, especially when you see how well they've gone with uh, their uh, investment in um, the one in Vietnam, um, how that's going for them. There's also, uh, as Steve was sort of alluding to before, the, the possibility that uh, many of the Asian uh, countries may turn around and say, well, if you're going to do this with your little airline, we want to do the same thing right. in your country. Right, right. And that, that might very well be the case. I think um, they need to play fair. Uh, they should expect this right up front as well. Uh, yep. Instead of reacting to such scenarios, they should you know have all these scenarios planned out and this is how we're going to react uh, to these scenarios. In fact, I think... Jetstar will have an even stronger role to play in that sense, where um, it complements this super premium brand, 
uh, by taking care of the low end of the business and the budget side of business and you know remaining agile whereas the premium brand may not be as agile when you look at this new brand that they're looking at starting up um, they're looking around for a, a suitable name to call it and the the mail at the moment seems to be on the name red Q now it may just mean my personal bias to shank but I think that sounds terrible I mean would that be a brand that would have more traction in Asia I mean it doesn't sound like a high class name to me this is the first time I'm hearing of it and my first impressions are like seriously that's an airline, uh, but but uh, to be to be frank, um, about two months ago, I heard for the first time the name of the Singapore Airlines low cost carrier, which was launched today, and yep. they are they confirmed today that they're calling it Scoot, and my reaction was exactly the same. I'm like, seriously, how can I scoot down to Australia? I can scoot down to Bali, but I can't yeah. scoot down to Australia. Um, and scoot, I mean, seriously, that makes me a scooter if I fly them. But the, but the thing is that with the new airline name today, it's mo- it's not as much about uh, sounding premium or classy or niche as it is about connecting to people as well as being talked about. And what Scoot has done, and moving on to Scoot a little here, what Scoot has done is they have quite successfully polarized people, either like it or they don't like it. And while that might not make the most loved brand, it will certainly make the most talked about brand. And at, at launch, that's what you want. You want everyone talking about your brand. So Scoot has done that, and you never know. I don't know about Red Q. They might be able to do that. I don't have strong feelings about Red Q as people do about Scoot, but we'll see. I notice up here on your article that you've just written, you've just posted an article actually about that on uh, simplyflying.com. And uh, I noticed here that you said that even Tony Fernandez has tweeted about it. So I guess, uh, like you say, it it, it really does elicit a reaction, at least in the early stages. Absolutely. I mean, Tony Fernandez is saying that these guys are copycats. And in fact, well, they are because AirAsia and Azran at AirAsia X proved that a model could work in that region. And now others are following their footsteps. So I think they should take it in stride and take it as a compliment. Copying is the best form of flattery. Um, and But yes, absolutely. It's, uh, Scoot has got the big wigs talking. Uh, and that's what you need on day one. Shashank Nigam, uh, you can find him, uh, as I said earlier, at simplyflying.com. And uh, where else can we find you in the social media world? We're, we're, we're on Twitter, simplyflying, uh, S-I-M-P-L-I, flying. Um, not with a Y and on Foursquare on, I mean find me at an airport that's in a real world <laughs> most, more than actual world um, I tend to meet lots of Twitter followers Facebook fans on at airports which is which is great yeah where are you at the moment because you're not in Singapore that's for sure <laughs> I am not in Singapore believe it or not I'm in Africa I'm, it is my first trip to Africa and I'm in Uganda currently in Kampala oh wow well given that I'm very yeah. impressed with the quality of the connection indeed it's, I think we've got the best broadband in town we're paying a bomb for it but yes it works <laughs> certainly does well we won't use up any more of it in case it's limited uh, Shashank Nigam thanks very much for uh, taking the time to have a chat with us we really appreciate it pleasure to be back Take off for the adventure of a lifetime with Ozair Services and the Turidan Flying School, where you can live out your passion and learn to fly. Book a personalised charter flight to Lake Eyre, Flinders and King Island or anywhere in Australia. Or enjoy an adventure flight for yourself or as a gift with scenic and aerobatic flights in the classic Tiger Moth on weekends. Take flight with Ozair Services at the Turidan Flying School. Go to ozairservices.com.au. 
Hi, this is Max Flight. This is Milford from Flight Time Radio. You can catch Grant and Steve each week on the Airplane Geeks podcast with their Australia Desk Report. Over on our podcast, Steve and Grant send in a bi-weekly update that covers flying in the Southern Hemisphere. Our listeners look forward to the Flying Down Under segment for the great interviews and a taste of aviation life from another point of view. www.airplanegeeks.com If you get a chance, visit flighttimeradio.com to learn a little about our radio show and podcast. Well, I've interrupted the show long enough, so let me turn all you plain crazies back over to the guys and their usual outstanding content. Cheers from America. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. Thevoicesinyourhead.com Okay, we're now for a bit of uh, analysis from a couple of uh, journalists and uh, people that live and breathe uh, the airline industry in this part of the world and perhaps other parts too. From the Centre for Aviation, it's Will Horton. And joining us also from the Plane Talking blog at crikey.com is Ben Sandland's uh, gentleman, Gay. Good Well, uh, we'll start with you. How about a bit of an overview uh, from from where you stand about um, where the situation is at the moment and uh, perhaps where you think it might go from here? I think the situation at the moment is that uh, Alan Joyce, the CEO of Qantas, has declared victory. He succeeded in having industrial action ending. Passengers can book with certainty and that Qantas no longer runs the risk of losing passengers to Virgin Australia. Going forward from here, uh, Virgin Australia is already making some efforts to uh, keep whatever Qantas passengers it may have uh, accumulated over the past few weeks and will be getting over the next few weeks as it increases flights. I've seen that they're going to be offering double frequent flyer points uh, and it looks like Qantas is going to respond to that and also take some other initiatives. Of course, not to be forgotten is that Qantas still has to negotiate new agreements with the unions. And if it doesn't reach an agreement within 21 days and the parties don't apply for mutual extension, then there will be a tribunal deciding what the outcome is. And that's not a guaranteed uh, situation Qantas can entirely win. However, it defines winning as. The indication is that if it comes down to a, um, a lock-off, then the government or Fair Work Australia can go to binding arbitration and tell everyone exactly how it's going to be. That's right. And certainly, if you look at the main contentious issues, there's pay rise and then job security. I think Fair Work Australia would have a very difficult time pointing to another industry that has job security and ruled that uh, Qantas unions must also have job security. And as for pay rise, I think we've seen Qantas make a very convincing argument that the unions are willing to have a lower pay rate with Virgin Australia than with Qantas. So therefore, why should Qantas be paid more? So I think if it does go to a tribunal, uh, it could definitely swing in Qantas's favour. Ben, it seems to me that the company here, Qantas, has really decided to force the government's hand and bring them in on the act to bring about exactly what Will's talking about here, to get them in on the act to uh, basically arbitrate a decision on their behalf. What motivation do they have to uh, call the unions at all over this next 21-day period? I would say they have none. That's a reasonable comment. Now, there's several things you need to bear in mind here, The uh, and I agree with Will about the uh, the political dimension to the uh, union claims. Those claims now, however, are going to be very politically visible as we have a Senate inquiry starting on Friday into two pieces of legislation which would effectively stop the Qantas Asianisation strategy, as some people have called it. Uh, I think there's a lot of criticisms being made of those bills. I personally think they're deeply flawed, but they have the capacity to stop Qantas rotating lower-paid Asia-based workers through the domestic 
franchise on uh, at a short term, which is part of the declared objectives of the original uh, plan earlier this year. They also will pose difficulties for Qantas in terms of any perceived breach of the Qantas Sale Act. But on the other hand, I think the unions are also flirting with the distinct possibility that the political debate may then go the other way and say, well, well let's abolish the Qantas Sale Act, which is something which successive managements of Qantas uh, have wanted to see done. The other thing is that uh, the messaging about this whole dispute is actually, I believe, quite misleading. And Joyce was interestingly cornered on this uh, in a number of interviews. I thought it was quite fascinating. He conceded that uh, Virgin Australia actually has the same pay rate, basically, uh, as Qantas if you come to that common touch point, which is the A330s and the 737s. There's a $1 an hour difference uh, in a lot of the uh, ground jobs, but there is one significant difference which is an intangible between Virgin Australia and Qantas, and that is an engaged workforce. And I think that this factor is going to prove to be very critical to the future of Qantas under the current management. In terms of how they've had a very confrontational environment between uh, management and staff for quite some time at Qantas and how uh, that's ongoing and is going to make it hard for them to get anyone motivated to do a good job for customers. Is that the kind of thing you're meaning? Well, I, I think that's what people people have been driving at, certainly what I've been hearing. There's the other aspect that when Jetstar tried to uh, change some of its workplace practices early in the, in the year, they included the provision that if you were a pilot on a day off, you still weren't allowed to go more than a certain distance from your home base without permission, which led to, as you might recall, uh, an uproar about Jetstar pilots being in, in home detention on their days off. <laughs> the, sort of, the sort of industrial fantasy that the chairman of uh, Qantas, Lee Clifford, always entertained in the uh, resources industry. Uh, so you can see there's a sort of um, quite a raw divide culturally coming up. And I'm reminded of a wonderful incident. I'm not sure if Will was there when it happened. I wasn't, but I, I saw the video that when uh, Richard Branson and uh, Virgin uh, Australia people went to Seattle to collect the first 777, which had been delayed by the sort of crusade uh, against the unions in uh, Seattle, Branson lashed out and said, look, I don't care about your crusade against unions. All I care about is on-time delivery of my aircraft, and it's five months late, uh, which is you know, one of the more entertaining um, um, <laughs> sort of aircraft handover ceremonies that people uh, might have seen in the last year or so. So I think that there are still going to be some significant problems for Qantas. On the other hand, there is absolutely no doubt that Qantas has to change and that Qantas has to take advantage of opportunities in Asia. It's a, really a question about how well they manage to do that, how well they manage their people. And this business of actually mugging what turns out to be 140,000 people deliberately locking out your customers so that you can increase the size of the industrial dispute to a point where you can shut down what was lawful industrial activity has managed to cause them a lot of problems in Canberra and I suspect it will cause them some problems. It's debatable how permanent they will be with the value of the brand. They now have a very aggressive competitor in Australia and of course they have very aggressive foreign 
foreign competitors. It's interesting, Ben, and I might uh, throw this to you too, Will. It's that uh, Qantas has really been running uh, in what I would consider a very effective hearts and minds campaign. They've been spending an absolute fortune on uh, advertising in the print media and uh, billboards and that sort of stuff. Uh, and of course, they have the advantage that uh, they're allowed to speak to the media, whereas, of course, the pilots, it would be a breach of their uh, employment agreement to do so. But uh, I, I kind of wonder what you might think about um, effectively holding the notion of holding the passengers um, as a bargaining chip in this dispute by basically inconveniencing them to force this um, this outcome at Fair Work Australia. What would you think about that? Well, I think what needs to be seen is the longer term view that if there was not a grounding, um, these passengers and most likely scores more would have been inconvenienced over the coming weeks. And if you believe the unions in saying that they were going to continue this dispute into the middle of next year, um, over the next year. So ultimately, uh, there's an immediate group of a large immediate group of passengers who are impacted over the weekend and in, into Monday. But in the long term going forward, there won't be any more problems. But uh, one thing is that when the unions were going on strike beforehand, they had to give 36 hours notice. Qantas were able to reschedule people. Yes, people had to be rescheduled. There was additional work on Qantas's part. There was uh, annoyance for people who weren't able to be on the flight they want. They might have to get in earlier to get their connecting flight or they might have to delay and go later. And Qantas might put a 7.6 on instead of a 7.3 to carry more people in that later swap slot. But it was all announced and because that was a common thing was that um, the reporters were saying, hey, you know, all these people have been impacted and yet there was no sign of any turmoil at the um, the check-in or at the airports because people had just come earlier or come later and been moved around. Whereas this thing that happened on the weekend, what were the scenes? There were people in tears, there were people frustrated, there were people upset and there were people yelling and screaming at the poor Qantas staff. The ones that had really been hung out to dry on this were not the pilots, were not the baggage truckers, were not the uh, engineers. It was the poor people at the call centre and at the check-in desk. You've got to say that I think there was a lot more pain for people in that weekend's worth of grounding than being told, oh, you've got to move your flight. Well, I think the first thing to note is that, unfortunately, from an airline perspective, not all passengers are equal. And the passengers who really matter the most to you at the end of the day are your corporate passengers who give you the high yields, who travel with you frequently and often and not just once in a blue moon. And for this grounding, we saw that the corporate market really wasn't affected uh, domestically until Monday morning. And even then, with Tuesday being a public holiday in Victoria, overall loads were lower than they normally were. And certainly, we saw Virgin Australia put out a very competitive offer uh, and a very public offer to get passengers, um, and as did Jetstar, Tiger, and uh, Strategic as well. I have another another thought that's been um, sort of kicking around my brain for a couple of days over this. When the when it comes to the issue of uh, the way the airline is structured cost wise, and Ben, actually, you raised this and it got me thinking about it on our well, the last time we recorded with you for the airplane geeks the other day, and that's the question of fleet choice. If we go back historically, how much of a factor is that? I mean, should they have gone for the triple seven several years ago? And had they done that, and I'd put this to either of you, would they be in a better position now, an aircraft that could uh, potentially be more efficient and certainly more modern? I, I'm going to cut it and just say that right now I, I've never believed this myth about Qantas should have ordered the 777. And if you go back to the boardroom documents from 2000 that were made available uh, during last December's uh, court um, action in, in regards to Rolls-Royce um, and the purchase of the A380 with those Rolls-Royce Trent 900 engines, uh, the Qantas board makes it very clear that the purpose of the A380s was to get high-capacity aircraft into slot-restricted airports. We're talking London, Heathrow, Tokyo, Narita, and also other airports that are operationally operationally restricted, such as Los Angeles, where there are only so many flights you can have depart around midnight back to Australia. 
And there, the A380 offers more capacity than the 777-300 centigrade aircraft. And also, we see that with the 777, uh, when Qantas was ordering aircraft in 2000, the 777-300ER, which is really now the best-selling, best-performing 777 family aircraft, was not around then. It wasn't until uh, mid-2000 when, when the 777-300ER really became viable and became popular. And by then, Qantas had made its strategic fleet decisions. Had they known the A380 was going to be delayed, had they known the 787 was going to be delayed, perhaps uh, there could have been an investigation to having the aircraft for a short period of time. But like many airlines in the world, they believe that each A380 and 787 delay would just be a month or a, a year, not the continuous time it has had. So I don't believe the 777 myth at all. And certainly at the AGM on Friday, Alan Joyce put out uh, a very detailed reason as to why the 777 was not the right aircraft. The A380 has lower cost units. I have seen those documents. The point is that if uh, Qantas had taken uh, uh, 777-300ERs for delivery in 2004-2005, it could have replaced its older 747s on many of the US frequencies. Uh, it would probably still be flying to San Francisco. It could have uh, dramatically improved its uh, service to places like Frankfurt, where it very, very rarely fills a 747. It would have improved its freight capabilities, quite obviously, because they're wonderful aircraft for freight as well. And while it would not have actually given them a huge boost in, of performance to Dallas-Fort Worth, it might have tempted them to get some 200 LRs, which would have been outstandingly good for Dallas-Fort Worth. I think that it, it was a serious miss, but on the other hand, and, and this is this goes to support what Will's saying, the 777-300ER would never have worked on South America or South Africa. I usually dare to suggest that actually the 346 plane <laughs> might have been the better solution because it's unrestricted to South Africa. It doesn't have restrictions leaving Johannesburg because of the uh, twin engine problem, you know, inoperable engine at Johannesburg Airport. You have lots of restrictions. It would have been the better plane, obviously. It would have been the only plane uh, to fly efficiently with freight and passengers to Buenos Aires and to Chile. And the actual operating di difference, as Lufthansa and a few others have pointed out, isn't all that big because, you know, the plane is cheap to acquire. It, it has been remarkably reliable in service. You don't go deaf sitting in it if you're, if you're sitting in economy, which is where I usually end up. So the 346 had distinct possibilities. If you look at what uh, Emirates and Etihad are getting out of 346s and 777s on essentially the same route, hardly any difference in, in the actual route time, it's not bad. It's certainly vastly superior to a 747-400 or 747-300. But Will's right. about When it came to London uh, and it came to Los Angeles, and, it, and indeed at one stage they thought Narita, but of course that's all changed now, uh, then the 380 was absolutely the right choice. I'm, I'm sure it has actually got a huge future. It's a superb aircraft. The interesting thing now, however, is that this management is giving away half of its slots to London. It's got four slots to London and it's going down to two. The fantasy they have is that those passengers will transfer to British Airways on the other two frequencies. What are they smoking? There's so much competition from single carrier airlines to London, such as Singapore or Emirates. Why on earth would anybody transfer with a five-hour gap or whatever it is at Bangkok or Hong Kong to London. And that makes me really worried because I don't think this management really does value that business to Europe anymore. They are besotted by the low-cost franchise and it has got enormous possibilities. Then they're going down the other branch of starting a 320 carrier based in either Kuala Lumpur or Singapore. And the huge weakness in that is that these things come with reciprocity. And if Singapore or Malaysia decide, well, hang on, we want to start 
a sham flag carrier operation in Australia too. But we're not going to do it with a 320. We're going to do it to San Francisco. We're going to wait eight years until the A380-900 or the 777X gives us a viable payload to London non-stop. And that way, we will save ourselves from the inevitable technological consequences of Qantas being able to by- bypass Kuala Lumpur or Singapore because we'll do it with our own uh, little uh, Australian venture, just like you're proposing to do with Red Gear or whatever the airline is going to be called. And I think this, that is a fatal weakness in the strategy because reciprocity is everything. You do not get in Asia anything without giving something back in return. Despite the fact that over here we've given away stuff without demanding reciprocity. Indeed. There's a lot of, lot of issues can be raised there, but I can see where Canberra comes from, or indeed the Barton Triangle comes from. They don't see it in airline terms, they see it in trade liberalisation terms. And at the end of the day, the total volume of Australian exports to places in the Middle East and our exports to China matter far, far more to the Australian economy than whether or not there is going to be a Qantas or a Virgin Australia in the future. I have a list of things to respond to, and I'll try to remember all of them, and I think I'm going to attempt to work backwards. Starting with reciprocity and Australia, certainly Australia has the disadvantage of being an end-of-world um, point and not a connecting or hub point. And certainly for that reason, it has been necessary for the Australian government to perhaps offer more than it has asked for in return. Going on to the Qantas plans for Asia with the A320neos, I think what's important to note is that that carrier is really focused on intra-Asia growth and not going on to Europe and other destinations that could potentially be observed by technology leaps uh, going forward. As for, I think my next thought was going to be the A340s, um, certainly to acquire a niche group of just a handful of A340, be them 500s or 600s for specific routes, uh, is very quite difficult to do. We saw Cathay uh, briefly do it in the middle of last decade before they gave up the aircraft, the, the A340-600s for 777-300ERs. And even then with Emirates, they operate A340-500s, but are very quickly phasing those out. Emirates seem to have the plan of A380s for the uh, congested routes and slots, slot-restricted airports, which we've all agreed is is a uh, great choice but then you use your triple sevens on the not so uh, heavily traveled routes and that's the thing that gets me about the triple seven with Qantas is they could have actually opened up new routes instead of making everyone go through London or Frankfurt to get into Europe they could have gone Singapore or Bangkok direct to uh, to Bonn or Hanover or places like that and I've got friends who have said we're not flying Qantas we have to go through Frankfurt to get to our places in Germany whereas if we go with Emirates we just go one stop we're there so but Grant how many corporate passengers and those are the people who bring the money for airlines, how many of those corporate passengers want to go to random point A or random point B in Europe on a daily basis? It's just not enough. It's not enough to justify a triple seven. And Qantas has the advantage that say, when we look at Emirates and Etihad and see their wide use of the triple seven. Well, for Qantas, they can do a lot more with the A330 in terms of range and payload than Emirates can. So again, it, it's an apples to oranges comparison. Okay. Yeah, I, can I, see. I, I do think with the corporate market, though, and uh, <clears throat> I have several examples spring to mind, Qantas has completely lost the resource trade between North Africa, that is Nigeria, and the Middle East to the uh, Middle East carriers. It's a significant and important trade. I think they have made a bad mistake on San Francisco because San Francisco is the most convenient place to go to if you have to go to Cupertino or you have to go out to see Apple or things like that. And I think you will see some action 
coming up uh, in the next year where they will have reason to regret the San Francisco uh, decision. You know, I was not seriously suggesting an A346 now. I'm thinking back historically. There was an opportunity, uh, had they done that in the early part of this decade, and and this is one reform that they really need to try and get out of the Australian government, had they been able to depreciate those aircraft effectively, which is something the government could do with the stroke of the pen. By about 2012-2013, they're ready to replace those aircraft, whether they replace them, God spare us, with <clears throat> eventually a successful 787, or whether they replace it eventually with a, an A350 that actually works, uh, or whether they stick with the, the 777, which works brilliantly, uh, or whether they actually, with the growth that Boeing uh, is predicting, and I often remind Boeing of this, if their growth predictions are correct, and they usually are, then almost everything out of Sydney to uh, about 12 airports is going to have to be carried on a very large aircraft in the next 10 years. Gentlemen, as we uh, sort of uh, bring this segment to a a bit of a close, uh, Dick Smith uh, posited the view earlier that um, he he thinks that uh, Australians have abandoned Qantas, that we all want to, you know, it's all nice and it feels good to have uh, Qantas as our national carrier, but in reality, and particularly in these tough economic times, everybody has their price. Do we just have to accept now that low-cost carriers are the way of the world and the way of the future and uh, perhaps uh, Qantas shrinking in its uh, in the form that we're used to it looking is something that's uh, just inevitable. I don't think so. Uh, I think Dick's got it completely in reverse. Qantas abandoned the Australian travellers by not providing them with convenient air routes to all of these fast-growing markets in Germany, uh, in Eastern Europe. Uh, have a look at what's happening to Hungary. It's very, very interesting. Have a look at what happened to Hungary uh, and Air Hainan. Uh, basically, Hainan Airways basically, basically grabbing that market. I think that Qantas, when you look at it historically, the competition they complain about did not make a move on those routes until it was clear that Qantas wasn't going to fly them. And I I don't think low cost is going to trump. I think value for money is going to trump. I think, and Qantas knows this. Qantas is doing a really good rejig with premium economy, which will be rolled out shortly. And uh, Cathay Pacific is doing the same thing. I think the value for money proposition still leaves a lot of room for quality in-flight experiences at a reasonably attractive price. And uh, I think what Virgin and, and Qantas are actually both doing on the Sydney-Melbourne route shows that. They're both harrying away now, because I fly it fairly regularly, in that $150 bracket. And that is a very attractive sweet spot. I'm not going to chase, and a lot of people are not going to chase a $59 fare to Melbourne if they can get a good value, $125, $150 value uh, on a carrier like Virgin Australia or indeed Qantas. As for the emerging markets that have come up a few times, um, namely the Middle East and, and West and North Africa, um, I really think Qantas has no hope of serving North Africa, West Africa, and really any links there would be through uh, partnerships connecting onto Qantas flights in Europe. And as for the Middle East, I mean, we've seen the Australia, Virgin Australia, go into Abu Dhabi, but they're really not doing that well so far. So I don't think that's a, a legitimate market. And certainly Qantas has said that while it had the, its partnership with Etihad, it looked at examining uh, flying into Abu Dhabi. It even considered could it do it with 777s and it ruled that it could not. Um, so obviously Virgin has something else up its sleeve. I agree with Ben that people are seeking value for money. I, I think we've seen Qantas respond to what people have wanted, uh, not just premium economy, but also the establishment of Jetstar, perhaps Ben, in your view, for better or for worse. Uh, but I think when we look at value for money, we consider that it's low cost carriers that are delivering value for money. And really for an extra hundred bucks on an hour flight, what is it that Qantas gets you over Jetstar or Tiger? Is it a warm meal that you don't like and end up complaining and check luggage that you could 
easily carry on. I'm not convinced. I think it's value for money. I think it's low cost carriers that will lead the future. And certainly uh, for every forecast I've seen has concurred with that. Well, I'll tell you what, Will, you mentioned Tiger Airways there. And after the uh, rather turbulent start of the year they've had, they must just be loving the fact that, uh, hey, this will be giving them 100% load factors, but also taking the focus away from them, at least in a PR point of view. I think everyone has already moved past uh, the Tiger incident. People have a very sort of short term focuses. Um, no one's talking about last November's QF32 incident. And I bet uh, in another two months, this whole grounding will pass over. I think that's uh, probably very true. Well, gentlemen, it's been a rather spirited discussion and a fascinating one, and I'm sure we could go on for another hour or so, but Tom has got the better of us. Will Horton, uh, tell us where we can find you online. Sure, I'm at the centerforaviation.com and that's centerre, and I'm also on Twitter at winlets747. Highly recommended too, folks. Make sure you get uh, there and follow Will in as many forums as possible. And Ben, where can we find you online? Uh, you'll find me at Plane Talking. Uh, best to just uh, Google for Plane Talking, P-L-A-N-E, new word, uh, talking. Uh, there is another blog called Plane Talking, but I think they're just about ready to, to give up and go away. <laughs> they have an underscore between the plane and the, and the talking. Uh, or you can Google Google for uh, Ben Sanderlands, and um, then there's the hate Ben Sanderlands site, and there's a few others. So, look, uh, I'm, I'm, easy, I'm, I'm, I'm easy to find on the net. <laughs> Fantastic. Gentlemen, you've been very generous with your time. We thank you for spending some time with us this evening. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Ben. All the Thanks, best. Guys. Well, there we go. I think that just about covers every aspect of it, uh, of course, except for Qantas. And as we said at the top, uh, we did offer them the opportunity to come on the show. We would have liked to have had them on, but, you know, maybe after they hear a list, they might like to come back on. You never know, guys. Well, you know, we, we sent them a few emails. Uh, didn't really push with a phone call. I Honestly, I probably should have, but I was too flat out organizing everything else. So yeah, we tried, but we did maybe didn't push as hard as we could have to get uh, Qantas on. But understandable, they're flat out. They've got lots of things to do. And uh, most of their crew are looking after the bigger fish in the, in the media world. And remember, there's uh, plenty of recordings of the press conferences that they've done around. So if you want a uh, uninterrupted uh, opinion from them, uh, there's other ways to get it. <laughs> That's what uh, Anthony Albanese's staff said when I went a knocking. They were like, oh, look, we're flat out. Uh, do you want some transcripts? <laughs> well, speaking of transcripts, Grant, I think uh, one airline that we did speak to was Virgin, and uh, they were unable to come on air. But, uh, Grant, you spoke to uh, Colin Lippitt there, the uh, corporate communications uh, manager at Virgin, and uh, he had a few comments to make about the way his team's been coping with this. It would have been a, a very, very busy time for, for Virgin, or I guess for Tiger Airways as well. Yeah, pretty much any airline that wasn't Qantas working in here was busy scrambling to uh, be able to take on more of the affected customers. When I spoke to Colin, uh, I was asking him a few questions about uh, how Virgin had reacted to Qantas's announcement. And uh, basically, they've had massive focus ever since Saturday evening when they first heard about the grounding on uh, making sure they would do whatever they could to provide more capacity in the marketplace to assist and support travelers that were affected by the Qantas grounding. They basically added in ad hoc additional seats wherever and whenever they, they could. Uh, they were doing that right up to when Qantas came back online. They'd already added about 40,000 additional seats between the middle of October to the end of January into their network. Uh, that was done as part of their reaction to the uh, the industrial campaign from the unions 
because people were getting concerned about booking with Qantas. So uh, Virgin made sure they had extra space to take them on. Once uh, Qantas was grounded, uh, they quickly added another 10,000 additional seats just within a few days. That was mostly because uh, members of their team volunteered to do additional work. They uh, cancelled their uh, their leave. Uh, they cancelled their uh, rostered days off, and they all came in. They had uh, back office staff. They had front office staff. They had, uh, had cabin crew and tech crew. They had uh, ground staff, everyone coming in to help out. And I think that, if anything, is one of the really big differences between Qantas and Virgin, aside from the scale of the operation, of course, is the fact that the Virgin staff seem a lot more motivated and happy. They have their problems, but they're a lot happier, as we heard with Nick Xenophon. You know what would be even better about uh, Virgin's handling of that? If they had those extra seats between Adelaide and the uh, East Coast more often, because uh, really from flying from Adelaide, you don't have much of a choice. You've got in the morning to get to Sydney, you've got uh, five Qantas or Jetstar flights and what, two Virgin ones? And uh, if you compare that in capacity, to uh, Melbourne, Sydney, it's basically neck and neck the number of flights. Um, so a lot of people saying, "Well, you should you should fly Virgin." Uh, I'd like to, but you know, put on some flights. Yeah. Well, yeah, it'd, be, it'd be interesting too, Baz. That um, it'd be interesting to see now how many customers flow away from Qantas and stay away, and perhaps uh, you know, well, really, their only other real choice. Let's face it, particularly if they're uh, in the business market, is Virgin. And uh, you know, Virgin have been, uh, you know, obviously it's a great marketing, a chance for them to do some marketing and really show their wares, particularly if people have not used them before. So it'd be interesting to see how many people uh, perhaps choose to stay with Virgin for a while. And if there's an increase in capacity and they see that, perhaps uh, you know, coming out of Adelaide. In your case, maybe they will uh, put on more uh, capacity on a permanent basis. You never know. That'd be great. Well, the, uh, some interesting sites have been posted on the net. Uh, photos in the Qantas lounge, which is normally quite packed, were sh- showing a space very empty. But word was that the uh, Virgin Lounge was absolutely packed with people. So at least temporarily, they've, they've had a beneficial flow on. But uh, one of the th- reasons they were actually able to uh, to do this increased capacity was because of their alliance partners like Etihad and Delta and Air New Zealand. They were able to uh, start communicating with them about uh, building up some contingency plans if this had have gone on to uh, have a lot of their international runs, the Pacific Blue runs, the V Australia runs, uh, to have their uh, international partners like Air New Zealand across the Tasman and around the Pacific step up and do more flights so that those 737s could be retasked to uh, fly domestically. They had one 777 do a single service between Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, That was a repositioning flight, I believe, but they opened it up to bring passengers on. And uh, that was a potential that they could have done. They could have had 777s running domestic or more of them running uh, between Sydney and Melbourne to LA while Etihad took over uh, their previous 777 routes to uh, Abu Dhabi. These were the concepts that were going on. Uh, Colin didn't confirm that was exactly what they were considering, but there had been rumors of this and discussions about it in the general media. Now that Qantas is operating again, they've ceased to pursue all that. It was just a contingency, but they are continuing to talk to their partners about potential opportunities if they need to, to look at options on international operations going forward. So a lot of good information from Colin. It was a shame he uh, wasn't able to come on and speak with us. Uh, He sounded really good on the radio. Anyway, we appreciate him giving us uh, a few minutes of his time. Now, Bez, uh, through those interviews, and of course we sent uh, you know those interviews to you to listen to uh, before we put this show together, and you've been furiously making notes. So do you want to uh, give us some of your uh, thoughts, mate? Oh, yeah. First thing I want to say is that uh, throughout the weekend on, on 
social media, um, I've made made some comments, which a lot of people took for me to be against the staff and pro the plans for Qantas and, and pro grounding. And I think a lot of that has been misinterpreted because I'm, I'm very much a guy who you know, the truth is in the middle. It's somewhere in the middle. And I've been negotiating for a very long time. And there basically it was a, a deadlock and uh, something drastic had to happen because the government had already said, no, we're not going to intervene. That's, that's not the kind of thing we do anymore. So it, it came to a head this way. I, w- I wish it would have been different. But from a passenger point of view, which is all that I am really t- towards Qantas, despite, you know, having some friends flying there, but uh, uh, that's really all I am, a passenger. For me, last week, I probably wouldn't have booked a ticket on Qantas because I didn't know it was going to be flying because that's what's been in the news all the time. And if I had to go uh, on a trip next week, I'd be happy to buy a Qantas ticket. And I think that's what this uh, action has achieved. However inconvenient it was for a lot of people in the short term, uh, I think strategically still for the long term, it, it's not been a bad decision at all. Oh, mate, I, I don't know, man. I, I I think Qantas senior management, specifically Joyce and uh, the board, let off a small, low-yield tactical nuclear weapon to clean the house of a few cockroaches. It really has that effect. It's like, well, it got everyone's attention, but shame your house is falling down now. Uh, I I think he went right over the top. I really went – I think he went way over the top, and I hope it's not falling down, but – I think there's been a lot of damage done to the brand. I think one of the comments there that I found really interesting through all of those interviews was uh, Dick Smith's idea that uh, Australians have abandoned Qantas. I mean, that, that's an interesting statement in itself. And of course, you know, Dick never minces words and uh, you know <laughs> says them in a way that uh, gets a lot of traction. But uh, perhaps abandon is a bit uh, a bit tough. But let's face it, the cost of living here is going up. It's it's a very expensive place to live here these days, and everybody's watching their dollars now. There's there's been a real change in, in culture in the aviation industry and that really started I you know probably at the time when Ansett went and Virgin appeared on the on the scene because Virgin really pioneered the low-cost carrier concept in this country and you know now we've got uh, obviously uh, Jetstar as well even though Virgin's sort of moved away now from that low-cost carrier model and of course you've got Tiger down there at the bottom end of the market the, the one problem that Qantas pilots and I guess Qantas international pilots are, are going to have in in my view at least is that they are surrounded on all sides even from other sectors within their own organisation, by pilots that are doing the same work as they are for a lot less in terms of pay and in terms of conditions. And even though uh, Captain Richard Woodward there said that they're not asking for anything more than 2.5%, there's a lot of other efficiencies in there that uh, perhaps they can they need to look at. And I don't know how they combat something like that when they're going up against Middle Eastern carriers, for example, that are you know being heavily subsidised by their government in terms of uh, their tax regimes primarily. I mean, how do they compete against that? Is there an air of inevitability about all of this for Qantas, particularly international? I think there is. One of the problems that I think is huge for Qantas and the problem with a lot of the spectators saying, well, they should, shouldn't should have brought back their international operations. Uh, they, they should have kept flying to all these secondary cities in Europe and, and have all those routes. But that's a real big issue because the only way you're going to do that without having a place in the middle where you've got a complete open skies uh, agreement is to fly all those flights from Australia with a hop somewhere all the way to Europe, which means that that, that you don't have a lot of passengers that you know will be using those flights. I've actually had a, a look at uh, 
the, the figures from uh, Tourism Australia about how many people come from, from different countries. Now, the big one is the UK. We get 630,000 visitors, and I reckon there's at least as many going from Australia to the UK every year as well. And no wonder that they can keep several flights daily going and provide a really good service because... Uh, oh, but hang on, hang on, hang on. They've just actually cut back on their service to the UK, remember? Yeah, they, they be, have. Just before they the have. UK Olympics, they've cut they've cut down their slots at Heathrow. They've they have, but they, they, still, they still have a lot. And, and what I'm saying is that that market can actually work. But if you then look at some somewhere like Germany, which has 150,000 people a year, uh, divided by many carriers, uh, if you want to... They, they now only fly to Frankfurt, but if you wanted to spread it over three cities to have a better service there'll be no one left you might have one or two flights a week in each of those cities and that's not really providing a service either because you know people want to fly on certain days even when they when they go long haul so i i think long term the only solution to get more international people flying the Qantas brand all the way from europe is to actually have a a subsidiary base in asia and uh, the great thing about that is that if, if they can move all those people within asia and and to and from europe then you could still have the Qantas mainline Australian operation flying those people from the Asian hub to Australia. I actually think it's an interesting strategy, perhaps a bit risky, but an interesting strategy. If if, if Qantas wants to go to Asia and set up another carrier that's, uh, you know, and particularly if it becomes profitable and we see those profits in some form flowing back here to Australia, well, more power to them. My question would be, and I guess the question at the heart of all of this is how is this going to affect particularly the international arm here? Are they going to sacrifice and, and try and offshore as many of the positions, uh, pilot positions in that particular part of the business uh, to this uh, to some new base and some new entity in Singapore uh, and pay those guys a lot less money than they're on now. Um, I guess that to me seems to be the biggest issue, at least for pilots coming out of this. As for the ground handling stuff, that's interesting. I, I, I don't know what else Qantas could do except for uh, contract that work out and I think that's what the, the people there are trying to avoid. For instance, if you hop on a, a Jetstar flight now, I think that flight is provisioned and serviced by contractors if I'm not mistaken. But uh, that's not the case if you hop on a Qantas mainline flight that's provisioned and serviced by Qantas staff. And I think maybe Qantas wants to move away from that and the TWU doesn't want to. Yeah, that's a, that's a real shame because like I said, I, I think the strength of a, a subsidiary in Asia can be to have a lot more people fly the Qantas brand. And if they do it well, they get a good reputation. And when these people do want to come to Australia, uh, they'll be flying that Qantas brand to Australia, probably piloted by uh, Qantas Australia pilots. And when they're in Australia and want to go from city to city, they're flying Qantas. I mean, if you're flying from Amsterdam to uh, Sydney on Singapore Airlines, uh, who are you going to be flying from Sydney to Adelaide? You're going to be flying Virgin. So the, the more people you can get into the country uh, via the Qantas brand, even if it's not all flown by people who have the same, who are employed in Australia or have uh, the same salaries, you're still going to prop up the group as a whole. Well, this is, this is the fun bit, right? Over the last 10 or 15 years, this is an accumulation of my own observations, observations of friends, family, and people like that who have told me various stories. And again, it's anecdotal, but it's accumulated over the last 10 or 15 years of watching Qantas go downhill. And my apologies to the staff. There's a lot of wonderful people working at Qantas, but I've been hearing over the last 10 or 15 years, even from people with like platinum membership and so on, that they're getting very upset with the levels of service um, from front office, back office, cabin crew, all that kind of stuff. They wish they could stay, but you know, they're just for the money they're paying, they're not getting the service. And a lot of us have tracked that back to the staff 
being upset with management. It's very confrontational and an um, unhappy place to work. And you're doing the best you can. You're trying to put your all into it, but it's where's the incentive when you're being screwed around by management a lot and 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 pushed to the wall and pushed and pushed and not inclusive. You know the changes aren't they're, not, they're just being dropped on you. They're not you're not being socialized and so on. I know that's probably anathema to most management, but it's it's the way many people want to be treated in business. So you've got that happening. You've got people saying, mate, when I get on a Qantas plane, I want to hear a Qantas accent. I want to hear Australian. I'm coming home to Australia from overseas. I want to hear Australia. And they get on a red tail. They want to have that, not uh, cabin crew based out of various Asian ports who aren't even Australian. These things have been coming up. Then there's also the folks who are saying, why should I pay extra money and delay by another half to one whole day of my travel to go through Frankfurt before I get into Germany or to go to, through Heathrow before I want to get to Birmingham when I can just go with Emirates for a cheaper with one stop and it's fantastic service. Uh, Australia is, is a terrible place to run a big international network because you can't get anywhere interesting uh, in, in less than one hop, whereas uh, if you're based in London like BA, you can get the only place you can't get in one hop is Australia. Everywhere else is is easy, yep. and you don't it's, need all those partners. And you, you can have a really big fleet of your own because you can fill the seas. Perhaps all of those things that you speak of, Grant, in terms of the feel good things like uh, looking for Australian accents when you're coming onto the plane. Well, maybe that's one of the things we have to accept that that has to be confined to the annals of the past. You know, maybe. But maybe. then, but then stop pretending that it yeah, isn't happening. Yeah, that's right. Stop pretending. But if you do, do want to pretend. If you do want to pretend, there is a really good solution. Headphones. It's satellite broadband. You've got Australian <laughs> people sitting in Sydney. They get a transcript, you know, typed to them from <laughs> from the actual captain. They do the announcement over to PA, and no one is any wiser because after nine eleven, we've got to keep the doors closed anyway. I suppose you're writing an app for that, even as we speak. Uh, <laughs> That's gold. That is gold. But I look honestly, mate. I think that if Joyce and senior management and the board and all that would stop trying to pretend. Qantas, the way it is going, is no longer the spirit of Australia. Okay, that's what's happening. Well, I tell you what, we could uh, we could debate this for uh, for hours, I'm sure. But uh, just as we bring this episode to a close, Grant, uh, I'd just like to pose one hypothetical thing to well, I guess to both of you actually, and uh, that concerns John Borghetti. And the thing I've been wondering, well, two things I've been wondering about uh, John Borghetti, and the first one is, do we think? this would have happened if he had got the top job at Qantas. That's number one. And number two, given that he didn't, and now that he's running Virgin, do you reckon he'd have a bit of a wry grin on his face every morning when he gets up? I'll ask um, the, first, the think, second question first. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> of course he does. But I think you know Virgin and, and Qantas have a very different starting points. Basically, he could work Virgin up, uh, but he'd still have to work Qantas down. He could be doing it better. Uh, than this, the current management has done. Uh, but it's still, he'd have the problems with trying to save money because that, that's what it comes down to. He can definitely do a lot of morale boosting that doesn't cost anything. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you're going to let people go and, and, and try and, and cut costs, uh, you know, staff aren't going to be happy. Yeah, but it depends how you do it. There's, oh, yeah. the, there's the inclusive method where you go, hey, folks, we've got these big problems. Get your reps together. Let's all get together and have a good old chat about it. Figure it out. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? How about this? Did you consider that? What about this? It takes a bit of time. It takes a lot of effort and it takes a bit of humility. Hello, Qantas management. Humility. And that's what's missing. And that whole confrontational attitude is what's destroying Qantas from the inside out. It's a big chunk of it. 
And you look at the way Borghetti's running running Virgin, it's not like everybody have a group hug feel contest, but there's definitely a very good path of communication between the front of shop and senior, very senior management. And that makes a heck of a difference. When staff feel like they've been listened to, they'll have problems, they'll be upset, there'll be hassles, but look at the way the EBAs go in Virgin, look at how things go in New Zealand. They're not perfect, they're not ideal by any stretch of the imagination, but they're a whole mess better and the people are a lot happier. Well, let's bring this episode to a close, gentlemen. I really appreciate your uh, your input to this show. It's It's been a very, 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 very uh, intense effort to put this one together. Folks, I really hope you found this uh, this episode of PCDU uh, informative. Um, as you no doubt know, if you've been listening for a long time, you'll know that we've sort of moved away from a lot of airline politics uh, recently and sort of shifted the show more to being a, a show about uh, GA and more of a variety show. But uh, this is an episode that uh, we really think that uh, given that we're really the, the only ones that uh, focus on the Australia-Pacific region at the moment, but uh, in terms of podcasting, we sort of felt it was our responsibility to uh, to get this show out, and uh, it's it's been fascinating to put it together. Baz, thanks very much for uh, stepping in and providing your comments, and uh, thanks also for uh, getting in and participating on the Facebook page there and generating some com- some uh, conversation. It's uh, you know, like you say, people mightn't believe uh, or be always in agreement with what you say, but a good robust debate is always a healthy thing. So we uh, we appreciate that, mate. Well, in in, in that uh, same spirit, can I have one more closing comment? Go, go, go for it. I reckon all the problems with Qantas being less Australian will go away if they simply started serving the revitalised Dick Smith foods on their flights. Oh, there you go. <laughs> we'll have to send Dick Smith a bill for that. Baz, uh, where can people find you online? Oh, you can find me on Twitter, Baz Sheffers. You can find me on Facebook, Baz Sheffers. Uh, you can find me at uh, ozronways.com and uh, just type my name in and uh, you'll find me. Fantastic. Grant, uh, thank you for doing some of the editing on this. Uh, you know, that's normally my job, but uh, boy... <laughs> We've, I've even had to get you working on this one so uh, thank you very much for uh, your efforts on this one mate I really appreciate it yeah no worries mate I hope the audience don't mind uh, we should actually put up a list of all the uh, all the interviews and get the audience to pick which ones I did whoever gets them all right might get a free cap or something how about that now we did announce that our uh, that uh, episode 77 would actually uh, contain our interview with Tim Smith well obviously uh, now I also said unless something else drastic happens in the meantime well guess what it did oh, so, uh, it's your fault so I actually spoke to Tim Smith today and said him my apologies but uh, you didn't have a problem with that so that will be episode 78 which we'll have out in a couple of weeks from now so uh, I hope you enjoyed this show folks we'll be back soon cheers I'm off to recover now it's, it's what flies down on that counts you've been listening to Plane Crazy Down Under hosted by Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran show notes links to our forum Facebook fan page YouTube channel and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website www.planecrazydownunder.com or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at plaincrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It 5 by Brian Simpson. This has been a Southern Skies online media podcast. Kind folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. 
This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. Thanks, folks.